After one year and eight months apart, Justin and Rob, affectionately known by their listeners as the Down the Middle Squad, come together for a post-election analysis and State of the Union discussion, the likes of which you will never forget, even if you really want to. This is episode 33, the biannual Down the Middle post-election and State of the Union soiree. This is Down the Middle, a political podcast. Do not adjust your stereo. You're listening to the two most moderate voices in the entire podverse. Get ready for Down the Middle. Down Down the the middle. Middle. A political podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Justin Siegel and Rob Leifer. All right. Well, 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 Justin, here we are. As I live and breathe, Robert Leifer. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. I know we've been uh, talking about doing this for a long time. We're, we're like the podcasting version of the band Tool. <laughs> they only make an album every 10 years. Right. Well, well, we do that and continually disappoint our audience by not releasing <laughs> anything. <laughs> we're here. We made it. And it's really good to see you. How are you, man? Oh, man. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm in Los Angeles, actually, which is timely for this episode, isn't it? I, I heard. I heard. Yeah, you're in Los Angeles a lot. We're going to talk about some personal stuff. We're going to talk about a lot. So, so, okay. To our loyal listeners, here's what we can tell you. We can't guarantee... Uh, a weekly down the middle episode anymore, but we can guarantee a rundown of what's going on in the world of politics at least once every two years. How's that sound? <laughs> once every two years. <laughs> oh, that's great. Justin and I, when before we had a podcast, before COVID, before all of that stuff, we used to get together, have a pint, maybe some some shepherd's pie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shout out! Shout out to the Stocking Horse Pub. Sto- yeah, it's, on, that's uh, exactly on, the pub I used to think on, of. Yeah. On uh, on Pico. Yeah, so we used to go there and we'd have a pint. I think I actually got the chicken pot pie because it was delicious. But it sounds it sounds more British if we say we got <laughs> the shepherd's pie. Um, and we used to sit there and talk politics. That's how this whole thing kind of started. That is right? how this started. Hundred percent. So, right. So th- that's what this episode is going to be like. It's going to be a reunion of sorts where we're going to just have one long conversation. So there's not going to be any segments. There's going to be no kitschy bits. Just a rundown of all of the earth-shattering developments that have taken place in the world of politics over the last two years and then ensuing conversation and analysis. Just like we were sitting there having a discussion over a pint. Uh, how long are we talking here, Rob? Don't quote me on the all. I don't want, you know, we'll finish this episode and someone will be like, hey, they didn't talk about Space Force. <laughs> right? <laughs> Love Space like, Force. Right. Like, we're, we're not going to get to everything. We're going to get to all the things that we want to get to. It's our podcast, so calm down. Jeez. Yeah. Let us do what we want. Exactly. Some people. Before we jump in here and kick what's bound to be an extremely long episode off, I think it would be a useful exercise if we briefly discuss how, if at all, our individual political ideologies have changed yeah. over the last two years that we've been apart. So why don't you go first, Justin? Tell us if anything has changed for you. Have you become? Are you still the same moderate Justin I always knew, or or are you a crazy right winger? Have you become a bleeding heart liberal? What has happened? Oh man, the people want to know. Well, here's the truth. Um, you know, this is a moderate podcast, so if I'm not, I should just leave now. <laughs> well, uh, don't speak too soon because a part of what I'm going to say is that I don't, I'm not even sure I'm moderate anymore, but I'm going to leave that to you to, yeah. to, to decide. But, sure. but, but let's talk about you first. We're, so, we're here to talk about oh, you. Gee, thanks, yeah. Rob. Um, I, I am unequivocally still moderate. Uh, the time span that we've been gone, to your point, I think, I've seen plenty of friends that were once moderate pull away from the moderate ideology and 
begin to desire our government to step in and create laws to order people. I think that's what you're referring to. This is, a, I think it's a pretty common trend amongst conservatives, um, even conservatives that were moderate. Question. So when you say friends yeah. that you've seen them change, are you talking conservative friends or liberal friends? Conservative friends. Okay. okay. That, have, that have moved, because, you know, a uh, moderate conservative believes in yeah. small, limited government. Yeah. I have seen friends move towards government should be telling people what to do more. Right. Um, to maintain order, to maintain morality. Uh, and it's pretty common, actually. A good deal of my friends uh, have, have leaned this way. Um, right. The reason that this didn't become me, I think, is, is, uh, is because of a couple of things. Number one, government is bad at stuff. I still don't <laughs> want them doing anything. Right. You uh, still hold that position. I still hold that position. Number two, government can be scary when they start to impede on freedoms in either direction. Definitely. Um, obviously not saying there shouldn't be guide rails, but I think that's important. Uh, number three, people don't really react well when things are shoved down their throats. Uh, it doesn't really create change if you force someone to do something for the reason that they're, you know, you're just forcing them. Um, right. I think real change comes from great leaders. I mean, we've been seeing a more authoritarian movement on the right for a long time sure. now. It's sort of slow building. And uh, I mean, there was just that there was some some prominent conservative activist that I was listening to recently on some cop podcast. And he was talking about the same thing you're talking about, yeah. sort of needing a government or even a military to compel people to believe what they believe at this yeah. point. Yeah, right? yeah. Because because the country in in terms that he put it was so far gone that that was the only the only remedy left yeah. essentially. And that, that's scary. That's it, scary it stuff. It is scary. And I think yeah. as people were despairing a little bit more uh in terms of the societal breakdown and the cultural breakdown, yeah. You know, some of their uh sort of what they stood for and their base of of where they came from started yeah. to drift. Right. Uh, you know, there, there, there's the Trumpian, you just said it, like we need to brutally move the country in a direction tactic. It mm -hmm. really came from him. But what's interesting is that now, after the midterms especially, those friends are coming back around to the stance that I'm talking about. Like you can't force a country in a, direct, in a direction. The country right. has to be led and the electorate has to be won over by culture, which we're going to talk about later. So We're going to talk a lot about that. So yeah. yes, I'm still moderate. I believe slow incremental change is the way this country was designed. It's the okay. only way we'll continue to be a great country. I still look up to the same leaders as I did, the same brand of conservatism as I did, um, and I still hope for things to get back to some sense of normalcy and mutual respect, although I doubt it will. Okay. Well, see, it, it, the ending thing you just said there, you doubt it will, is is my sort of cynical, unfortunate reaction to sure. politics over the last couple of years. And and so here's what I'll say for me. Mm -hmm. and, and I know I'm probably going to say a lot of things on this podcast where you're like, Hmm, I disagree with you more than I used to, May, or, or maybe not. Maybe yeah. I'll be surprised. We'll see. But here's the thing with me. I am pretty sure that I started to unidentify, if you will, mm -hmm. as a Democrat before we even recorded our first episode, right? We originally billed this podcast as a moderate Republican and a moderate Democrat. But as we discussed in our very early episodes, while I will always identify as a liberal, I haven't felt aligned with Democrats as a party for quite some time. Yeah. I re-registered a long time ago as an independent before we even did the podcast, and I'll certainly vote for Democrats, especially if that means stopping Republicans, but I won't do it as a registered Democrat anymore unless or until the party starts reflecting more of my personal values, which, as you know, probably fall more into the libertarian category mm -hmm. at this point. You know, if you remember – Episodes and episodes and episodes ago, I think I had asked you if you would ever consider leaving uh, leaving behind the moniker of Republican and yeah. just adopting conservative, conservative. right? Sure. And I think I think I don't want to quote you verbatim, but I think what you said was that 
you have no problem being called a conservative, but because we are in the paradigm where there is only two parties and you have to work within that party, Correct. you still you still want to identify as a Republican. I, I truly believe, um, just in my experience in the workforce and also in life, like change doesn't come from outside often. It comes from inside. And so for me to leave California was difficult enough because I do feel like if I can you know, have some semblance of effect on a place, that you yeah. have to be there. With that same line of thinking, I feel like I need to be involved in the Republican Party to help see its change. If people abandon it, that'll truly be lost. Yeah. See, you want to see a Republican Party that reflects your values. And yes. I guess to a certain extent, I want to see a Democratic Party that reflects my values. But I guess I'm at the point where I think it's so far gone. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually surprised that you don't feel that way. It's like, you know, Bill Maher, who I'm a big fan of sometimes, uh, he keeps saying – the Republican Party is so far gone, it's not savable. The Democratic Party is far gone as well, but at least they're savable. I, I, I do kind of agree with that, mm -hmm. but um, at the current moment, I just can't identify as a Democrat. I just, I just don't feel like a Democrat. There's too many things I disagree with. Yeah. Um, with all that said, when we started this podcast in 2020, the mission was to sort of preach the values of moderation you know, incremental, moderate change, as we said. That's right. Um, and, and what I'm not sure of as I sit here today is if I would even be considered a moderate anymore because while I still support moderate policy, I feel like I have militated, for lack of a better word, mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to messaging. Yeah. And this development has led me to be extremely disappointed with the Democrats, not necessarily from a policy perspective, but from a messaging standpoint, and especially disappointed with Joe Biden, which we'll get to later. We'll have all sorts of Biden analysis. Um, and I was kind of analyzing why I feel that way. And what I realized was that, frankly, and I know some people will will you know, cringe when I say this, but January 6, 2021 really changed my political, my political perspective on a lot of things. It was really a turning point for me. And it's when I sort of realized that our original mission statement of sort of turning down the temperature likely wasn't going to be possible. And so simply put, if there's no way to turn the temperature down, my opinion is you have to fight fire with fire. Now, I totally recognize that this attitude is likely very much at odds with the way you still mm -hmm, think sure. about politics. But what I truly believe is that there is a larger than originally estimated faction of just straight up fascistic people in this country. Let's call them insurrectionists, okay? And who truly want to see every institution of the Western experiment you know, burn to the ground. And when you have a faction that is that large and that explosive and that hellbent on destruction, the time for pleasantries and platitudes and, you know, sh the Joe Biden shining city on the hill bullshit mm -hmm. has expired, it in my opinion, right? There's just no turning back. I do maybe it works with boomers, but for I think for people our age, we just want honesty and brutal, blunt honesty. And I'm just the time for like, I believe that, you know, America, when we put our minds together, can accomplish anything. Like, I'm done with that. Like, I, it just doesn't work for me anymore. So where I once would have agreed with taking a softer tone and wearing kid gloves when dealing with these insurgent forces, I think the tone I take now with these people would be that of ridicule and shame. And the Democrats generally continue to behave in ways that signal to me that they're stuck in a much different political era.
let me can i give an example yeah please i'll give an example okay so we'll go far back uh a lot of people say that what really sank Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016 was her basket of deplorable statement. Remember that, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you actually examine what she said, she said something to the effect of, you know, you can put half of the Trump supporters in the basket of deplorables. They're racist, they're bigots, they're homophobes, they're misogynists, et cetera. Now, the old me would have probably agreed that that wasn't a smart, a politically smart thing to say, and that she probably shouldn't have said it. The new me thinks to myself, okay, Around, let's do some quick math here. I got my calculator out. Uh, around 63 million people voted for Trump in 2016. She yep. said half of those people were in the basket of deplorables. So that would be 31.5 million people, roughly. There are 332 million people in the United States. Do a little quick math. That would be 9.5% of the total population that Hillary was placing into the basket of deplorables. And I'm sorry, but if you think it's completely outside the realm of possibility that 9.5% of the country is deplorable, meaning they're racist, bigoted, sexist, homophobes, like, or better yet, sympathetic with the cause of insurrection, then my opinion is that you need to do more traveling and look around, right? And maybe get out of the echo chamber you're in. And the new me, if I were Hillary's campaign manager, would have advised her to double down and use the math that I just outlined rather than what she did, which is apologize and put herself in a defensive position, which is what Democrats always do. Um, another, a, a, a more recent example is, and, and you'll appreciate this one. I mean, Joe Biden, uh, a few months ago at this point, I don't remember the exact date. He said something like the MAGA wing of the Republican party is a threat to democracy. Right. And I, I, this is not verbatim. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah. Right. I remember. And, you know, as the right wing media and the GOP, does, because they are so amazing at it. And, and we'll get to that later. Um, as they did, they engaged and they did what what they what what they have always done, which is so you're calling all 75 million people who voted for Trump insurrectionists and a danger to democracy. You know, this is this is the game they play. They'll take it out of context and make it seem as though every you know he's like Joe Biden was saying every single Republican, which is not what he said. And so they start engaging and they start changing the narrative. And before you know it, Joe Biden does what Democrats always do, which is rather than reaffirming in a confident manner what he said, he performs this ridiculous spectacle where he has to now call a whole press conference. You remember what I'm talking about here with he – he does this thing with the red background. It actually mm -hmm. looked really sort of almost like Nazi-esque. Yeah. yeah, it was one of the most optically weird things. Again – the bottom line for me is that I think the realization of what we're up against hit me like a ton of bricks on January 6th. And how that manifested is that I'm a lot less willing to have so-called civil and gentle conversations with the people that Hillary Clinton so aptly labeled deplorables in 2016. So it, is that considered a moderate stance at this point? I don't know. What are your thoughts? I mean, I, I just don't know. No, it's interesting. I mean, look, I think bottom line, like throw, fighting fire with fire and throwing more gasoline on, on the woodpile has never been a tactic that's led to anything but, uh, you know, uh, violence, quite honestly. Yeah, maybe, I, maybe. You know? Yeah. Um, secondly, I think when we talk about engaging in moderate discourse, I, I was never under the impression that we were talking about engaging in conversation with people who are either uneducated about the conversation yep. that we're having or 
I mean, you can be nice and calm with someone, but you can't actually engage in, in proper civil debate with someone who doesn't, who isn't educated on the issue. So yeah. I, I agree with you that there is a, you know, too many people that uh, align with the, the value system that you're laid out. But there's yeah. also people on the other side, just to put it in perspective, who like also want to burn everything to the ground, maybe not as violently, but they, they, mm -hmm. they think the only way is to get rid of the system entirely, start mm -hmm. over and create like yeah. a socialist system. I have a family member who believes this, you know, right. and, and, and so, you know, and I've been vocal about how I feel about that 100%. throughout the entire episode. So my point is, is like, podcast. I would call that the fringes. And right. I'm not talking about living on the fringes. I think the fringes get the, we've always talked about it. They get the biggest microphone because they yeah. make the most news. And is media going to twist someone's words around? Yeah, that's what media does. Right. Um, but I, I still don't necessarily think that, uh, you know, what we do here is engaging with the fringes. I think what we do here is, is, is creating and adding the proper nuance, injecting the nuance back into the conversation as opposed yeah. to generalizing. I think general statements like Hillary made, like Biden made, are stupid. They shouldn't yeah. make them. Forget about it. If you want to get specific. From a political strategic standpoint, maybe. In general. Right. Genera yeah. okay. General mm. statements are dangerous. Yeah. Why would you make them when you have nuance at your disposal? If you have a brain in your head and you're an mm. intelligent person and you can yeah. reason and you can come up with statistics like you just did, there's no right. reason to use generalities because generalities dumb everything down. And yeah. that's not, it's just not life. It's not real life. Like life isn't, I see what you're isn't gen, like, like, life isn't something you could plaster on a billboard. Life is made up of nuance where human beings were complicated. Politics right. is incredibly complicated. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's sort of how I feel about well, it. Well, you know, I, I went part of the exercise of, of reinvigorating this, this podcast and doing a new episode was I went back and listened to yeah. some of our old episodes. I listened to the first episode and you, uh, very clearly said, you know, this is a, this is a podcast, uh, a political podcast that's about respect and mm -hmm. listening and, you know, uh, you know, discourse that doesn't come to blows, right? Where yeah. we could all have a voice. I think when I think back to that, I was very much in agreement with you on that point. And I guess there's something that has changed in me that has become so angry at at what has happened. And I think I really think January 6th was was the turning point for me where Certain one, certain of our friends, I won't name names, mm -hmm. that thought the podcast was sort of not useful mm -hmm. because there was no way of talking to these people that were already, you know, about to jump off the ledge or yeah. were already off the ledge. Mm -hmm. I guess I kind of agree with them a little more now that it's, um, again, it goes back to the fighting fire with fire thing. There are people who are so far gone. And y yes, you, you just brought up a good point about the fringes. And yes, there are fringes on both sides. And I, another thing I listened to you saying, I went back and listened to the post-insurrection yeah. podcast. And you, we had an argument about whether or not the people at the insurrection who actually stormed the Capitol on January 6th were quote the base right and you were and you very clearly were like i don't think that's the base and i was arguing that i actually think it's more of the base than you think and by polling data we net we knew at the time and i haven't seen recent polling mm -hmm. but like 60 percent of republicans were identifying with them that just because they didn't go to the capitol and actually commit a criminal act they sympathized and when i take all of that into account i'm sort of like yeah i'm done playing games i'm done trying to sit down and i don't know if again i'm I, i'm not above saying that i won't change back mm -hmm. 
Um, but I, at this point in time, as I sit here today, I am, I, I'm just done with sort of placating those people and treating them like they're just normal parts of the everyday discourse. I think the Democratic Party has to become more militant in that part, in that way. That's just my opinion. Look, I, yeah. agree, I, I, I will agree with you in that because that's what we're supposed to do here, find points yeah. of agreement. I, exactly. I agree with you in that these people shouldn't be treated the way we treat other people. I, I yeah. do think that there is a problem with whatever the percentage is of the base that either was obviously at the, the insurrection at the Capitol or sympathizes yeah. with the insurrection at the Capitol. There is a problem with a person who believes that that is a, a behavior that's befitting an American citizen. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, moving those people aside, there's still a space, I think, to have a conversation with people who don't believe that that is something that should have happened and believe like we do that, that there's another way. Yeah, I mean, we, we, I just pinpointed January 6th and, and we're talking about that. But just the fact that Donald Trump is still the front runner to be the nominee yeah, in 2024, to me, that says it all. Mm-hmm. That says it all. If, if, if it was like if the Republican Party had had their come to Jesus moment after the insurrection and said this was a terrible, terrible idea, let's – Let's go back to what we were. Let's find someone like John McCain again, right? Sure. Let, let, let's do something. Let's, let's go back to the Bush doctrine, right? Mm-hmm. Then I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd be saying this. I would say, okay, that was a fringe thing. But it, it is only escalated since then. And we will get into the whole Trump factor in the election and is his influence and sway on the party uh, diminishing or is it getting, getting bigger? Yeah, or, I mean, yeah. I think that, and that's your point. Like, I, I think... It's escalated in that he refuses to give up power. I think it's de-escalated in that he's losing support uh, very fast. And we'll, you we'll, might we'll right. talk about it. You, know, you might be right. Um, you know, it, it, the, the truth of the matter is, and again, we'll, we'll, we'll get into a lot of this, but um, before, even during Trump's presidency, I was probably coming close to voting Republican mm-hmm. at some point. Like I, I was I was willing to at least entertain the idea of if the right Republican candidate came along, I would vote for them. Right. The way I feel, and I think I said this at various times uh, you know, towards the tail end of our podcast, the way I feel after how the Republicans behaved during the pandemic, which we're gonna get into, and how the Republicans behave post January sixth, is that the only Republican I consider voting for at this point hasn't been born yet, like literally. So because you have to be 35 years old, I think, to to uh, run for president, I would be the ripe age of like, you know, 78 years old. All right, listeners, we'll check back in with you. <laughs> right. But that's that's how angry I am. Uh-huh. And, and it's a shame, actually, for the Republican Party because they lost someone who would potentially vote for them. Now, we will talk about this again. I keep saying that, but we'll, we'll talk about how many – how they've gained a lot of people as well. Mm-hmm. They've just, I think people like me who are politically aware, mm-hmm. um, look at, at, at the behavior of the Republican party over the last several years. And are just like, yeah, no, thanks. I'm done with you guys forever. Right. And, and, and it's a shame. Look, I, I it makes complete sense to me that that is your sentiment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you right. know, I, I am not a fan of this Republican party and the state that it's in. Um, right. and that's putting it lightly. Uh, yeah, but I, I would say that there, at, I would I would say never say never. You never know what's going to happen. And yeah. so you you know putting this on tape, you know, you could we could fast forward 5 years and you'd be like, "Ah, I guess I didn't say, you know, I guess I shouldn't have said never." I mean, there's a statute of limitations on 
the, the, the words January 6th. There has to be. We have to move past it as a right. country I know. or we'll never move past it. So I, I yeah. hear what you're saying presently. The way and, to and move I past agree. it is to accept it, though. I don't feel the Republican Party has done that. They've just made excuses and obfuscated, you know, and, and all of that. Right. So. So, yeah. No, listen, the one thing that has changed, I think the biggest thing that that has changed with age for me, mm-hmm. just in a general context yeah. in my life, in my family life, is that where when I was young. I was more, I had my feet planted in the sand and I was more immovable when I said, I will never yeah, do Yeah, I think X. that that's common, right? right? That's a, that's right. a common uh, truth. Uh, you, yeah. you start to realize like, yeah, you know, actually I would kind of consider that, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're not as stubborn as you were. So yeah, absolutely. You might be right, right? Maybe five years from now, I'm like, yeah, you know. Maybe that was too harsh a stance. I'm just telling you, we're here right now. Yeah, we're we talking about how we feel in, now. In two, yeah, I'm telling 100%. you, we're talking about how I feel right now. Yeah. It has the sting of all of that has not gone away. And by the way, listeners, that does not mean that I'm happy with the Democratic Party, which I am absolutely not. Almost as much as I'm not happy with the Republican Party for completely different reasons, which we will get into. So let's do a little midterm rundown here so justin tell us where the house and senate stand now after the important georgia runoff that we just lived through and i'm sure all of our listeners who are listening in know about this stuff but i think it's it's good to recap it so where are we all right so uh for this next session of congress the house currently sits at 221 seats won by the gop and 213 won by democrats with uh, our favorite uh, Congresswoman uh, Lauren Boebert's seat currently in the midst of a recount. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a hot— Colorado, that's my home state. Oh, my gosh. What a dumpster <laughs> fire that race I know. is. Uh, I know. There's a hottish race for a Speaker of the House between party chief Kevin McCarthy and Andy Biggs from the new Florida, otherwise known as the bigger dumpster fire, Arizona. Uh, yeah. Biggs is highly unlikely to pose a challenge, but represents the hardline and dangerous— uh, House Freedom Caucus, which is, we're pretty much just talking about, um, signifying this fracture we've been talking about uh, also in the GOP uh, starting to form in a significant way. The Senate, as was widely reported, is going to the Dems. Uh, we knew that was the case uh, this term before Warnock's win um, yep. this past week uh, because they held Although- a majority through the vice president's tie-breaking vote. Um, but this isn't necessary because of Warnock's win. Um, right. However, much to your point, it's important to note that there are now three independents in the Senate. I think people skip over this a lot um, mm-hmm. because they're, they caucus with the Democrats. I'm talking about, of course, Bernie Sanders of Vermont yep. Uh, yep. and Angus King of Maine. And, and they caucus with the Democrats, as I mentioned. So they, they sort of look and smell a little bit like a Democrat because that's where they hang. Uh, as, you, as you said, Kristen Sinema announced just yesterday that she, too, was registering as an independent, which is huge. Um, but what's different here is it's still unknown whether she'll caucus with the Democrats or not. Well, okay. So the presumption is that she will. Yeah. She's still very liberal. The reason, uh, I mean, here's a little bit of how the sausage is made. Yeah. Um, the, re- the reason Kristen Cinema is uh, re registering as an independent is because she cannot win a primary in Arizona in, in, as a Democrat. And she wants to stay in the Senate, as a lot of people who have cushy Senate jobs want to do. Yep. So, so by re- it's actually very smart on her part because what it will do is the Democrats are not going to put up a, a challenger to her because she will tear off enough Democrats and enough independents to then enable somebody crazy like Carrie Lake yeah. to become senator. That's right. And, they, and the Democrats know that. She's a, safer, so, she's a much safer bet. Right. So the Democrats are going to have to support her. Yeah. I, look, she's a very savvy uh, politician. Yeah. Uh, she is. It was, she's it good. was a good move. 
So that's where it is. The Republicans run the House. Goodbye to Nancy right. Pelosi. Democrats yep. run the Senate, which means they're in charge of presidential appointments, ambassadors, judges, yep. which is pretty big for the Biden administration. It was not necessarily going to be the case. So that's a big yeah, deal. So, so b- before we even move on to all that stuff, wh- you know, the, our listeners might be wondering, Jay, what? Why did Georgia have a runoff anyway? You know, that's kind of confusing for people. Uh, Why? Well, Rob, it just so happens I have some info right here. <laughs> See, first of all, I want to say this. I said at the top of the episode that this would be like us just having a pint and, and you know, some, some, uh, some shepherd's pie. This is about as techy as we're going to get on this episode. <laughs> there are a few, like, factual things that Justin wanted to bring to the table, as he always does. And uh, so just for all the listeners out there, this is not how we talk. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? You forgot about my note cards that I bring when we go for a drink. So, uh, Justin, tell us. Right. Why, was, why did Georgia go to a runoff? So Georgia is one of only two U.S. states with a runoff election for both, both the primary and general elections. The other being Louisiana. Uh, and there are actually 10 states, Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Mississippi, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Texas, and Vermont that have runoff yep. elections as part of the primary process. Although in okay. Vermont, it's only for tied votes. Uh, Georgia's legislature passed this law implementing the system in the 1960s, back when candidates were nominated through conventions. The Democratic Party used this new runoff system to unite factions that had f- split within the party in order to head into the general united against the Republicans. And in Arkansas, the Dems actually enacted this system to prevent members of the KKK from winning party primaries with only a small plurality of the vote. Nice. A little bit, of, a little buzzed history. Yeah, there. a little mini that. buzzed yeah. history. Yeah, get, I really didn't know get that. Get your Good drinks you. out. I got more for yeah. you. Uh, <laughs> a runoff is automatically triggered when no candidate in the first election meets the required threshold for victory, meaning a majority of the vote, meaning more than one half. In Georgia, runoff elections are required for all congressional, state executive, and state legislative elections in which a candidate does not receive a majority in the general election. The top two finishers in the general advance to the runoff. Now, a central piece of this story that I didn't mention is that the original runoff elections were introduced by a staunch segregationist House member and legislature named Denmark Groover. Yeah. That makes it, it makes it more difficult for any group which forms a minority in the population to elect candidates of its choice. Obviously, in the case of the KKK, this was a good, but in an example of a bad, Groover did institute the runoff elections to limit the sway that the black electorate had in any given election. Now, Mr. Groover did renounce the act and his segregationist ways. However, the practice of runoff elections obviously remains to this day. Wow. Very, very, very nice. Now, again... Take your pints out again. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> We're back. Yeah, no, that was that was really good. A lot of that I honestly didn't know. We're going to talk a lot later in this episode about elections and election procedures and voting procedures and all of that good stuff. So a lot of people also might be wondering why winning that Senate seat in Georgia even matters if the Democrats had already kept the Senate anyway. And a lot of people were saying that. A lot of people were a little more naive about the situation. We're like, well, the Democrats have the Senate. doesn't really matter. Um, But, you know, let's talk a minute about that. Well, you know, for one, probably most importantly, for Democrats, at least, they can still confirm judges. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I believe Biden is still on track to surpass uh, Trump's record for uh, you know, record number of justices, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's really good. Next, if you're paying attention um, over the last couple of years, you know, we mentioned Kristen Cinema, and we mentioned, uh, I, I don't know if we mentioned uh, Joe Manchin, which is the other, uh, yeah. the other uh, senator from West Virginia. They have become harder and harder for Dems to rely on for some of their bigger, bigger agenda items. So with that extra seat, that little bit of cushion it's they have deal. in Georgia, yeah, it is a big deal. They only have to pick off one of those people That's as right. opposed to both, which is, which is a lot 
easier for them. Well, Manchin, so that, Manchin was really – he caved a little bit easier, uh, and Cinema sort of stayed on the sidelines a lot longer uh, with some of the right. things that, that were passed. So now if they get yeah. Manchin, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're home. So, so contrary to what people might have thought, it is – the Georgia runoff was actually really important for Democrats, not to mention that just changing the demographics in Georgia is yeah. an amazing thing. It I is, mean, especially considering and, what I just said. Right, and we're going to talk about candidate quality and why they lost in Georgia to begin with, oh, yeah. but you know, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, additionally, a lot of the new members of the House, mm-hmm. especially some of the, uh, these people, from, the freshman uh, GOP members from New York uh, that just won, they are especially moderate. Yeah. So the belief from Democrats is that getting legislation through the House might not be as hard as – it might seem due to the fact that a lot of those new GOP House members are pretty liberal and therefore things very well might not change very much for the Democrats. They might be able to pick off a lot of these GOP people, the, a lot of the, the freshmen at least, yeah. uh, that from more blue areas that just won. So yeah, look, it's, it's not it's, – I'm, yeah. I'm excited for the possibility of uh, some negotiation, some moderation, some – you know, if it, it's it shouldn't be a hard line of no, I'm not going to vote for this. If, right. if there's again nuance, right? If there's something yep. in a proposed law or a bill that uh, that is going to be good for our country, there are things to pick out and negotiate against so that we can get to a place where something doesn't have to be like ten steps down the road, but maybe we get you know two steps down the road, and that creates some nice slow change for the country. Yeah. So now there there are some really shocking things mm-hmm. about this midterm election. And at the top of the sort of shock pile here, if you will, is that Joe Biden has one of the consistently lowest approval ratings of any president in history. Yep. Now, when I say consistently, I mean that Trump had lower approval ratings at a point or two during his presidency. Uh, George W. Bush had some very low approval ratings. So did Nixon, so did Truman. Um, but Biden started at like 53% approval and dropped – uh, around August of 2021, never really returned. Now, he has bumped up a little bit in recent weeks. His current approval rating sits around 41%, but got as lo- it got as low as 37% over the summer. Um, but yet, but yet, but yet, Justin. Go on. <laughs> Biden managed to pull off something that hasn't been done yeah. in 100 years, yeah. which is every single Democrat incumbent senator retained their seat. And it was one of the strongest performances in a midterm election from any party in power ever, which is really surprising, especially to me, who very, very wrongly predicted complete and total annihilation of the Democrats. So the question and and I'm going to be saying that a lot throughout this episode, because it's like the one thing I have to keep saying is that I got this completely wrong. I think I mean, look how many people did. I mean, a lot of people did, but I I usually have pretty good political instincts in terms of what's going to happen. Sure. I've predicted a lot of things. I don't know. What, I was completely off on this one. Well, so and is history. I, was, I, I mean, history yeah. had, had this flip happening uh, just historically yeah. when you have the scenario that we do. Yeah. Uh, typically, it, it would have gone that way. Right. So the, the question becomes, how can a president who had such a low approval rating, one of the lowest ever, have such a successful midterm. Yeah. So this question is something we will attempt to analyze throughout the rest of this conversation and the rest of this episode. So first, I, 
I, the first thing is that I think we should mention that New York, as I was talking about, was the tipping point that gave the Republicans the House. New York became a much, much redder state. Now, as previously mentioned, a lot of these new Republicans from New York who won are supposedly pretty moderate. But I think it's worthy of mention that New York, one of the bluest states in the country, was essentially responsible for the GOP winning back the House. I mean, that's that's what what the analysis is, right? A lot of a, yeah. a lot of people say that it's the crime and the quality of life issues, even though Lee Zeldin, who was running for governor in New York and he lost, a lot of the analysis I've read is that his influence actually helped push a lot of the Republicans in the state over the finish line, despite the fact that he lost. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he's been hailed as a hero now. They even wanted him to run for RNC, which he declined. But uh, anyway, uh, I mean, listen, crime and decreasing quality of life in big cities have often been the catalyst for GOP victories. Yep. And the truth is that usually the bluest and most progressive areas of every state is simultaneously where the majority of the crime is happening. Mm-hmm. So, and know that that is not all due to so-called liberal governance or you know the, the idea that Democrats are soft on crime. There are a myriad of factors that make cities more susceptible to crime than, say, you know, suburbs or rural areas are but the perception is always that crime is a big d democratic problem and therefore the blame falls on the democrats so another city that we should briefly talk about when we talk about crime and quality of life is of course the city that justin is currently in right now los angeles which we lived in yeah Yeah, before we move on to Mm -hmm. la i I, want to i want to reframe the conversation a little bit okay but i also want to ask you a very important question yeah uh, how do you feel about uh, the Republicans winning four seats on your strong island? Is it still strong yeah. island? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. And that I'm going to tie that in to the crime thing yeah. and how things are, are, are panning out in the cities. And it's – I have a lot of questions for you yeah. as a Republican. Okay, now, I'm curious to see what you will say. So. Um, but it's interesting. It's definitely, yeah, so for the listeners who maybe didn't know that, I am originally from Long Island, yep. born and raised. You can tell uh, by the accent that slips in every now and again. Yeah, it slips in every now and again. As we're looking at New York and as we're yeah. looking at Los Angeles, I think yeah. it's important to, to, to note, at least in, in my opinion – yeah. Um, in this reporter's opinion, that this was <laughs> this was not a referendum on the success or failure of Joe Biden's presidency. I think if it was, we would have seen a very we would have seen a different uh, election result. For the, I, I think this became a ref- referendum once again because he just can't give it up on Donald Trump. Like in 2020, people were largely voting against Trump rather than the opposing candidate. And I think that this is what happened, what will probably happen in 2024. But my point is this, like Biden is riding very high on this. I get why he would take credit. But I think as we start to talk about these cities and as we talk about the election result, I think it's important to frame it as a Trump loss more than it is a Biden win. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. And I'm, I, we are going to get into yeah. all of the Trump stuff and all of that. And I, I definitely am curious about your opinion mm-hmm. on all of that, because, you know, there's lots of theories for why the, the sure. Republican yeah, we'll Party didn't it. do as well yeah. as as they should have. But you're right. Listen, the the the. the the common wisdom in politics is that whoever the election is a referendum on loses. Yeah. Right. Right. So typically, if your opponent is crazy, the best thing for you to do is just sit back and point at them. Right. And Which is, that by usually, the way, it worked yeah. for Trump in his first election. He just sat back it and did. pointed at everyone the, else. The in reason the primary and the Hillary general. Clinton lost is that that election was a referendum on Hillary Clinton. The reason Trump lost in 2020 is because it was a referendum on him, and rightfully so. And and so, yeah, that, that that's definitely a piece of it, right? Um, getting back to what 
what we were saying. Uh, so Karen Bass uh, is the Democrat in Los Angeles that did win the mayoral race. Yeah. But Rick Caruso, who, yes, ran as a Democrat, um, but he used to be a Republican. And he's basically he's, a he Republican. He operates as a Republican. Yeah. He, yeah, he's there a, are, no way a Republican would win this race. And yeah, so he right, exactly. very smartly just changed his party yeah. affiliation. He had to become a Democrat or else he wouldn't have stood a chance. Yeah. But he came closer than a lot of people thought he would. And to me, that does signal that there is a sort of slow-moving tide mm-hmm. that is turning in some of these big cities because of the crime problem, because of the homelessness problem, because of the cost of living problem, etc. But I want to have a, a little tangent discussion here, okay. Justin. Uh, because... Uh, you know, I want to talk about what the Republicans intend to do about, say, the homeless problem, for instance, mm-hmm. because I, w- I read this article in the L.A. Times months ago, and for the life of me, I tried everything I could to refind it so I could, I could cite it here. Yeah. I couldn't find it, so you're going to have to just trust me, okay? okay? <laughs> you and all the listeners, right? <laughs> it was a fascinating article about – that really – went into the reasons for the problems in California and specifically in Los Angeles and San Francisco with the homelessness and San Diego as well, um, and where it all comes from. And it was making the case that gentrification is a very big thing that, that, that never gets attributed to homelessness, but is, is, is a really important factor to consider. Mm -hmm. And, Republicans like gentrification. Like we 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 moved to Los Angeles in what two thousand four, yeah. And by the time we left, roughly two decades later, um, you know, areas that we couldn't walk in because they were too dangerous had been completely gentrified, sure. right? Uh, you know, with coffee houses and young hip people and skyrocketing rents and mm-hmm. all, all of that sure. stuff, right? And what this article was talking about is as gentrification takes place and cities become more and more for the wealthy and the lower and middle class get slowly but surely get pushed out the the as we know crime is a symptom of poverty mm-hmm. right so what was so fascinating it had an interactive map on this art, this LA Times article and it was showing the crime statistics over the last 15 years mm-hmm. in Los Angeles have actually moved out as the the poor people have moved out of the city again, they can uh, no longer afford to live here. They can no longer afford to live in L.A. proper. So now the bit, whereas the big crime areas used to be like South L.A. and Inglewood and stuff, those areas are becoming more gentrified, and the people who used to live there are moving to Inland Empire mm-hmm. and San Bernardino and more and more out. And at, if you look at the crime statistics, those are where the really heavy crime areas are now in Southern California. So, because again, crime is a is a is a symptom of poverty, and the same thing has happened in New York, and that's why it's interesting you talk about Long Island because Long Island has seen a crazy uptick mm-hmm. in crime, and a lot of it is because Manhattan and the boroughs have become too expensive to yeah. live in. So the 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 lower class, lower middle class have moved have consistently and sort of systematically moved out of the big cities and moved into areas and moving into up upstate New York. My wife is originally from Newburgh, which is upstate New York. And that has become an extremely high crime wow. area because yeah, low income is again associated with high crime. So as far as how that relates to homelessness is 
when you have a sort of diaspora of people who can no longer afford to live in a certain city like we've seen in New York, like we're seeing Los Angeles over the last 15, 20 years, um, there's a certain amount of people that get displaced, right? They don't make it out, mm-hmm. in, in other words. They end up in their car. Yeah. And from their car, it's two weeks later, they're on the street. Yeah. And once they're on the street, it's a fast track to mental illness and drug abuse and all that stuff, right? The Republican – this is the this is the the point I'm making here to sort of get to the get to the crux here. The the Republicans like gentrification, supposedly, right? And everyone should to a certain extent because it makes cities more livable and nicer, mm-hmm. right? We want our cities to be safer. We want more innovation. We want more fun things to do: museums and coffee houses and all yeah, that. Capitalism, movie theaters. Ah. capitalism, ah. right? Um, exactly. But what happens to as a byproduct of gentrification is that there is an increase absolutely an increase in people who get displaced and end up on the street sure. well look you see and, it, you see it i mean i was talking to a friend of the pod jensen carp uh, just yesterday mm-hmm. and yeah. he was you know telling me he he has a, he owns a gallery on melrose yeah. um mm-hmm. in los angeles uh yeah. sort of west hollywood hollywood area um right. and he is moving the gallery to the valley because there's too much crime, too much homelessness. So it's almost a reverse gentrification that's happening in certain areas. Certain where, areas, where yeah. Things are becoming far worse and businesses and people are moving, moving out. But uh, so, so here, this gets to the point of maybe at least one of part of the onion mm-hmm. of why the Republicans lost this election mm-hmm. is because they do a lot of pointing and a lot of pointing out that these are democratic run cities and look at the way, you know, they'll show pictures of, they always show Skid Row, right. And, and present that as like Los Angeles. And they'll always show the Tenderloin in San Francisco and present that as San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And yes, these areas are terrible. They look like third world countries, but they never actually talk about what their solution is. And that's what I'm really curious because here's the thing. Are you going to criminalize homelessness? Because if you're going to criminalize homelessness, you're going to need a lot more jail space. And if you're going to need a lot more jail space, you're going to need a lot more jails. And if you're going to need a lot more jails, you're going to need a lot more tax dollars. And Republicans don't like raising taxes. So what is the solution that Republicans have? I never hear them articulate. So I, I will say this. Um, I consider Rick Caruso a Republican, right? He is, he is a right. Democrat yeah. in name only. He's a, yeah, he's, 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 he's a, a dino. dino. Right, <laughs> <laughs> and and so let's use him as an example here because he he ran for political office in Los Angeles, and I think you know again he's he comes from that Republican conservative point of view, and yeah. and he does he he did lay out a plan, and his plan did not include raising taxes necessarily. It it, it included re uh, aligning and balancing the budget so that he was able to adjust and move funds to places where he thinks the city needs it the most. So right. he did talk about ending street homelessness. He talked about mm-hmm. bringing everyone inside through building 30,000 interim housing interventions in 300 days. He talked about declaring a local state of emergency. He talked about hiring 500 more caseworkers, deploying 500 new sanitation workers to clean up the streets. So there are, if you, if you, if you stop, the problem is it's like the, the pl- all that costs money, by the way. Well, that's, well, it's why I said what I said to begin with, which is that he was re rebalancing the budget he wasn't planning right. on raising taxes but my, okay, my, okay. my point in saying it is is like the republican platform has no solutions for this the large yep. scale large tent republican platform you can't read about them because everyone's just shouting but if you go right. and look at some of the local elections and you read into whether it's candidates websites or look at some of their speeches they're there they're just not getting the attention because what i just said to you is boring news 
Right, right. You're, you're, to a certain extent, you're right, for sure. And I did listen to Rick. I was interested in the Rick Caruso, Karen Bass thing, and, and I listened to some of his rhetoric. Mm-hmm. I just didn't find it particularly realistic because it's been tried. In Santa Monica – so, for, for instance, California as a state is suffering from just nowhere near enough low-income housing. Yes. That's part of the big problem. And, yes – uh, critics of democratic uh, governance will say, well, it's because the Democrats have made it so hard to build with all their environmental regs, right? But you have in, – in the state of California, you have an enormous concentration of wealth, right, especially on the coast. And people who live in Malibu, people who live in La Jolla – They don't want those houses there. They, well, well, not just that. In terms of just, – just talking about environmental regulations to begin with – when you live in Malibu and, you're spe- and you live in a $30 million home on the beach, right, you want environmental rights. You want to keep that stuff really oh, nice, yeah. if, if right? You, uh, if you watch Yellowstone, it's sometimes uh, a protectorate for the land. Right. You know? so, 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 right, exactly. So California has constantly gone up against, uh, you know, liberals on the coast who – are very concerned about the environment. And by the way, the environment in California has gotten dramatically better since the 70s. It used to have a cloud of smog over it. Yeah. The environmental regulations have helped, and they have upped the resale value in a lot of, the, a lot of these areas where Republicans will talk about how there's too much regulation, right? Well, there's um, a ba- like anything else. There's a balance to where, right. to where things do become impossible and difficult to, to, to move forward on whether it's building or anything else. And then there are things yeah. you gotta, you gotta balance, you know, the, 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 the regulations that work for the public good. And, and the fact that if you overregulate it is no longer for the public good. I understand that. I, and I take your point on that for sure. And, and we, you know, I remember we had that conversation with Santa Monica Pete, That's right. right. We were talking course. about just how was hard it was. Yeah. It was a great, that was one of my favorite interviews. Yeah. Um, not just cause he's a friend of mine, but for uh, to, to to go further in this conversation you know Santa Monica has consistently over the last 30 years tried to build low income housing and it is always shot down mm-hmm. because people who live in Santa Monica are generally wealthy and don't want low income housing yeah. right so what is the solution to doing that right you if we already concede that we can't arrest every single homeless person. What's well, the wrong tactic anyway? The, the right. people suffering from mental illness aren't going to do any better if you put them in jails, which is why right. part of Caruso's plan to get more caseworkers out there is, is something that's, you know, the first piece of this, like you said, is housing. The second yeah. piece of this is getting them help. Uh, it, it has to be, you know, a piece of the system to getting to making things better. Right. It, it, listen, it is a it is a complicated problem. It is. I, I one of the big reasons we left LA was not just because my wife's business was taken out by COVID, but it was also just the quality of life, especially with two little kids, had gone down dramatically. Right, getting screamed at when you're walking into the park by homeless people is not fun. Yeah, right? I mean, compared to the situation now, it's unbelievable. You know, when I came, I I. Listeners don't know. I went to visit you and saw yeah. where you live now, and so we'll exactly. talk about it at the end of the episode how great yeah. you, you, the situation is there. But your kids yeah. have a vast, a vastly different quality of life living exactly. where they are now. And, and I, w- you're in LA now. I was there last week for a work thingy, um, just coincidentally, and uh, it is better than it was during the pandemic for, for sure. sure. But it's still there are uh, certain wreck, areas right? that never recovered. Um, yeah, and and it, they're. They're sort of sporadically uh, pocketed out. It's, mm-hmm. it's in random places. There could be uh, you know, a little two-block radius next to Beverly Hills that's horrible. 
um, right. still. But there are certain other places that are cleaned up now. It's it just it it's it's sort of still um, it's still a mess in a different way. Right. I saw in that Brentwood area where there were so many tents. Remember driving yes, into in the downtown the Brentwood? There, yeah. yeah, the cemetery there. That's all gone. Yeah. Um, so that's good. I mean, listen, a lot of it has been cleaned up. The point is to sort of to cap this up here. It, it cannot just be broken down to li- so-called liberal governance. It's not – it's a much more complicated issue. And uh, the Republicans are always presenting it as – liberals are soft on crime or soft on homelessness homelessness or they're trying to be too empathetic right that the empathy is taking place of good governance i just don't think it's that simple i think it's a very complicated issue that is very tied in with gentrification yes la is becoming a city of the wealthy only just like manhattan is and a byproduct of that and it's happening in manhattan too a byproduct of that when you have no more even middle class housing is that certain amount of people get displaced and end up on the street mm-hmm. and it sucks, yeah. right? And it brings everything down in value. Yeah. It's a very it's a weird sort of dichotomy. While things are, are going down in value because of the homelessness problem and people defecating on the street, mm-hmm. the real estate is still going up. Yeah, I know. Right? It makes it, no it's, sense. it's crazy. Yeah, it right. is. It is. Right. But, and and I, I take your point completely. Um, I, would, I would say this. I agree with you that this is like everything else, and we'll come to this conclusion as we do on every, every yeah. episode multiple times a nuanced issue um, yes. and it's and it's it's it makes no sense to generalize it but i what, right. what i will say is that at least in my opinion my gripe isn't that just the general statement of like yeah democratic governance causes homelessness and and, and all the problems that we saw you know up north in, in portland it's for me it's about social programs and what that yeah. does to a human being and yeah. the, their reliance then on the government things like guaranteed income Things, things like that, I have yeah. a problem with those kinds of proposals, with those kinds of large social programs, because I think it breeds laziness. I think it breeds a society that is then uh, uh, leaning on the government for too much stuff, a government that can't do uh, a good job at, at what they're proposing to do. Yeah, and that conversation is nuanced as well sure. because when you're coming out of a pandemic, when so many people lost their jobs, oh well, you, uh, yeah, and we'll talk about that. Yeah, you'll, we'll talk you, about you, the economy, my yeah. opinion is different when we talk when we talk about that as as it relates to the pandemic. I just right. mean generally, generally, the gripe yeah. should be more. Uh, it should be less like you know Democrats do a bad job governing, and more specific because, like you said, it's nuanced. Right. I was thinking about this. The I I think the biggest criticism I got from when we were in the throes of doing this podcast regularly yeah. after all was said and done and the dust settled the big the, the number one critique i would get from our listeners is you talk about the media too much right mm-hmm. no one really cares what they say and i and i sort of thought about that a lot and thought well maybe our the people who are listening to our our podcast are like you and i yeah. right they're they're people who are politically savvy who probably get information from lots of different yeah. sources and you know, that's great. That's great. There's a nuanced conversation like we keep talking about, you know, if you're well informed. Mm-hmm. The problem is that so many people in this country get their news from one source. Absolutely. They get their narratives from one source. And so you have to talk about the media and how important that is to public discourse. And it forms it you- forms the majority of this country's views. Right. And, and, and therefore uh, trickles down to how the electorate feels about a certain issue. And you can't you can't leave them out because it's it's how people form their opinions. Right, and and to bring that back to what we were just talking about, I think 
the vast majority of Fox, your average Fox News slash right wing media listener Mm -hmm. who is being bombarded every night with Democrats and Democratic governance is causing all these problems. That's what they walk away with. And if there's one thing we could do, it's always to sort of show that there's a lot of nuance in it, yeah, right? Yeah. But but we cannot ignore that when people are getting their information from these one sources, that those those narratives become pervasive, and totally. that it, you know, and then it's it, a lot of times it's hard to reconvince people that it's not just what you're hearing from Tucker Carlson. Yeah, a hundred percent. And by the way, like sometimes the media could be right generally about what they're talking about, but the person who is hearing that is unable to have a conversation with you because it's all they hear is the headline and they, <laughs> right. they, they know nothing more. And so like part of what they're we not do, reading, well, yeah, they're not reading. They're not yeah. listening to things like this. And part of what we do here is to try and inject that nuance back into a conversation. It's why we have three hour long episodes because this <laughs> exactly. stuff isn't simple. We can't report in, 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 in 30 second and, and minute and a half long segments. There's just too much. Yeah. As we as we get an hour in, we just, we just we just surpassed an hour, and we've done like one percent of our <laughs> So, what message can the Democrats derive from losing ground in areas of the country where quality of life, due to homelessness and high cost of living and crime, has gone down? I mean, I think the Democrats. This is the thing: the Democrats could create a coalition that will never lose again if they start getting a little more realistic about what the people want Mm -hmm. we have seen a lot of people from city who live in cities who have seen the deterioration in new york in la in chicago in san francisco the list goes on who are just tired of it and are saying you know either i'll vote for republicans now or they're moving out out of these places if the democrats can get their their arms around this issue and really start focusing and by the way we should say that it starts by the way with funding your police force. That's yeah, that's no like kidding. the number one yeah. thing, right? And I think the Democrats have seen the error. I mean, there was nothing stupider ever in the history of politics defund than the defund the police. That is the stupidest thing ever. Yeah. And they, they, no one says that anymore. No, it's right? not a they, part of the party rhetoric. Right. If the Democrats can swing and sort of in a Clint, Clintonian way, because mm-hmm. he was very big on this, yeah. um, and really start to empathize with the people who have to live in these cities and have to put up with people defecating on the street and figure out a realistic solution, I honestly think they would create a coalition that would continue to vote for them forever in perpetuity. Yeah, I think that's right. So, yeah. Now, the most successful part of this election for Republicans was without a doubt what's happening in the state of Florida. I mean, yeah. Uh, Miami-Dade County, which has been a Democratic stronghold for many, many years. Palm Beach County as well. Yeah, went red. So we have to discuss why that is, Justin. What is it in Florida? Now, obviously, there's the DeSantis factor, right? Yeah. And uh, again, I I have to assume everyone who's listening to this knows about DeSantis, has heard him speak, has seen his ads, has seen his rhetoric. Uh, You take what I have heard and you would know better than me because your family actually lives there. Mm-hmm. But I have friends who live and, and family who live in Florida. Is that despite his personality and the Trumpy things that he does and his militancy with the media, I hear he's actually a really good governor. Yeah. Like in terms of the day to day job of gov- the stuff that no one that never makes the news. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 
actually doing the job, right? Yeah. And not just engaging in politics. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I, look, I, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't use the word Trumpy when talking about Ron DeSantis. I, right. They're very different people. And of course, you can compare someone to, to you can compare DeSantis to anybody. Um, the thing that, he, but the, but the, in the beginning, he had those ads where he was like, build the wall. And, it, you sure, know, sure. he was, yeah, a lot of it was tongue in cheek. Yes. But, mm, but he was a little Trump. Here's my yeah. thing with him is yeah. that, uh, and, when Trump was in office, a lot of what we railed against up until the latter years or the latter yeah. year was uh, not his policy. It was his rhetoric. It was the ridiculousness with which he spoke. Now, DeSantis yeah. has none of this. None of that, um, no. And so that's my, that's my thing. It's like his policies are, are strong if you're a conservative, which is yeah. fine. Um, mm -hmm. and, and there's not a lot that I, can, that I would say he's doing wrong there. Um, right. But he is not a trump in that he is he's not he's stunty in the way a politician is stunty not necessarily in the yeah. way trump. i think he's smarter than trump he doesn't take oh, every definitely. single uh, anyone is smarter than trump. very true but <laughs> yeah. my point is this yeah. he doesn't take every opportunity to 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 create a stunt he doesn't take the bait on every issue he does it very strategically and he does yeah. it he does one thing and then he'll walk away from it he'll make his point and he'll walk away from it and so he's yeah. he, he is a very different animal in my opinion he and, and to your point he runs. He is a great governor. He runs that state uh, incredibly well. I mean, if you were there, you wouldn't even know we had a pandemic. I mean, it is an amazing thing to see. And I want to get into the pandemic thing and go on a tangent about the pandemic mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. But it, it, you know, his um, yeah, his governing, you know, Look is how obvious. Have you heard a it's, word about the hurricane? Since not a word. Not a word. And that's that's always how you know. Yeah. Is that when you don't hear a word about his the job he did during the hurricane, that means he did a good job. That's right. Right. Uh, you know, it's also the fact that he turned very very blue counties yes. into red counties. Yep. Right. And the. Okay, so let, let's break it down a little bit because the GOP is taking this huge victory lap over. De DeSantis was their saving grace during this election cycle. Yeah. They did extremely poorly, embarrassingly poorly everywhere except for Florida. That's right. Um, the other thing we have to remember is that – because it's not just DeSantis. Uh, Florida is the most moved-to state in the country. Mm -hmm. It has been now for the last like three years, I think. A lot of people from red states moved to Florida during the pandemic because it's cheap. There's no – there's low taxes. Or, or a, lot of, no a lot of Republicans from – Blue states. A lot of people are saying that that you know some of the some of the losses in New York that happened are because so many people, so many conservatives moved from New York to Florida. That's the, it, sort of the going joke. It, it might be possible, but it, the point is, it's not just the DeSantis factor. It's that there there might have been an influx of conservative yes, people, hundred percent, to the to the state. Oh, we know there were. And, I mean, people moved to Texas, people moved to Florida, people moved to Arizona, uh, yeah. who were looking for sort of. Uh, conservative safe havens. They were fooled in Arizona, however. You know what? You know what I heard yesterday. What's Actually, that? I was uh, I was completely shocked by this. You know what the two fastest growing cities in the entire world are? No, good. Miami yeah. and Tel Aviv. Wow, I yeah. I heard that about Tel Aviv recently, and mm -hmm. Miami makes sense to me, um, especially when you go visit. Uh, but that's incredible. Yeah. I haven't been down to Florida for a while. Um, I will tell you that I had a friend who lived in Venice, California, mm -hmm. and moved recently to St. Petersburg, Florida. Yep. Lives on the on the beach, just like he did in Venice, but spends one quarter of what he spent in Venice. Of course. And yes, he, it, he was telling me it, Florida is the one state in the country where you could still get like – you could live by or on or very close to the beach – 
and you're living among rednecks, yes, <laughs> essentially, right? Yeah. Like everywhere else where there's coast, yeah, it's, it's all it, it, it's all like uh-huh. upper crust yeah. people, right? That's but true. in Florida, for whatever reason, now not so much in Miami, but like no, throughout cent- the, Central Florida, Panhandle, right, throughout yeah, the uh-huh. rest of the state, you could get beachfront property, and yes, you have to put up with people in their sandals and their igloo cooler. Yeah, but <laughs> but 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 it's. I mean, a lot of people like that. A lot of listen, Florida has always been a state that was desirable to move to because of the weather alone, yep. right? And the beautiful people down there. I mean, it's just, it, it's a state like California. So there's low sales tax in Florida. Yep. And I think it's just a low tax state to begin it is a with. Low ta- it is a low tax state. Yep. It's lower than Arizona, for example. Right. Yeah. Or it's certainly lower than California no. or New York, yeah, by right? Mile. Yeah. Right. Or Massachusetts or any of those mm-hmm. states. So, so, you know, again, I give DeSantis credit where credit is due, absolutely. Um, but it's not just him. Let's not no. let's not go over. But, but I will right? say, like, where the allure of a place like Portland has been ruined because of some of how the city has been run, the yeah. allure of Florida remains because it was governed well. Yes, yes. But but from what I've heard, Florida has a lot of the same problems still. It has homelessness. Of course. It has a crazy, every, crazy every, drug has... problem, right? Yeah. Um, areas well, is, like St. Petersburg. You know, Florida remains in, you know, I can – I, I can also attest to this uh, because of my father's ambassadorship, but there yeah. are, you know, the drugs that come in through those ports um, yeah. and because it, because Florida sits as close as it does to some of those islands make it, uh, you know, a, a drug capital, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that is true. And I, I know there's a huge heroin problem in central Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, it's still Florida, still the child abduction capital of the country. It, yeah. <laughs> there's still, there, there's still like a bunch of problems. It's not like all just like palm trees and fairy tales in, in, in Florida, but there's something going on there that the Republicans obviously want to harness from just from a political standpoint. So another tangent that we should talk about because it ties into the success of Ron DeSantis is now that the pandemic has been sort of uh, essentially declared over as a, 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 and has entered into more of like an endemic phase. Mm -hmm. uh, What have we learned from the COVID era and what lessons can we derive from the whole saga, now that some of the dust is settled, do you mind if I go first on this? Please, one, Justin? please, please. Okay, and well, uh, it, you know, this could probably be a four-hour conversation in and of itself. Sure, but listen, we made a lot of predictions during our podcast, and we ca- what one thing we did keep saying was that the receipts were going to come in. Yeah, it was going to take a long time. We kept saying that. We kept saying like it's going to take a long time from all the data of this pandemic. You know, the economic data. The displacement data, it, what it did to kids, what you know, all the death, what it did all, to everything, deaths, yeah, everything. Yeah. It's going to take years. Probably, we're, we're just now seeing the beginning of the receipts. Oh, one hundred percent. What right. it's going to say in the history books, it, we, mm-hmm. we're still unsure of. We're still very unsure. But what I can tell you, and this is maybe a difference of how I felt during the pandemic while we were in the crux of of recording these podcasts, yeah. is that. What I the lesson I have taken from from COVID, the entire COVID era, is that we can never again as a country allow the public health sector to dictate policy That's right. again. Yep. Right? And and I want to make something clear for all the liberals who are listening. I am not I am not coming at that from a a conspiratorial point of view like like a lot of uh, the right wing is. You know, like they were trying to control us or force vaccines on us or, you know, 
usher in the great reset or you know any right. of those things right that that is not what uh, how i'm approaching this what i am saying is that the pub and and justin you hit the nail on the head with this i went back and listened to a couple of our episodes where you were spot on about this what the public health sector was is tasked with especially in regard to covid right. is one thing fi- one thing yep. one metric of life it's not a conspiracy it's not they were trying to control no, us doing their jobs. They, they were doing their job i remember one in one episode you said you panned uh trump for putting Fauci out mm-hmm. there because you said he should be taking advice from Fauci and he should be going out there. From, from right? t- you, that's the job of a president. Listen to right. your advisors. Make a call based on all of their advice. And you can right. lean towards one of them you know, one day and lean towards another one the other day. Yeah. But the fact that they were then, as you said, put in charge uh, and, and you had you know, their, their singular goal uh, of what their job is supposed to be, which is not the right. same job as the president – uh, no. created this problem well let me give a, a little analogy like there are tens of thousands of people every year who die in car accidents yes. right driving driving a car is one of the most unsafe things we do every single day and we all get in the car and we just do it right mm-hmm. and we don't usually think about it and a lot of us are texting while we're doing it because we're idiots right <laughs> and you know some of us are drinking tonight and then going to get in the car and do sure. it right because we're because we're idiots um and if the government were to hypothetically put together a, a group and we're like, well, let's hire a car accident czar to figure out how we could cut down on car accidents. And the czar looked at the data and came back a, a week later and was like, listen, this is the thing. Driving is just exceptionally dangerous. <laughs> and the best thing we could do if we wanted to save tens of thousands of lives every year is just stop driving. Which, by the right? way, is true. <laughs> right. It's absolutely true. But – Obviously, that person would be laughed out of the room Completely. because we all assess risk on a day on a minute by minute That's basis. Right. We're all taking risks all the time, and we understand the dangers in driving. We all are adults who, you know, by the time you drive, you should at least understand how dangerous it is, and you assess that risk and you take the risk because you have to get to work, and you have to get your kids places, mm-hmm. and everything else we have to do for life. Right? It's a very similar thing with COVID. There. The public health sector that was dictating policy was tasked with one metric, which is how to stop people from dying from COVID. And their advice was, listen, a lot of people, a lot less people are going to die if we just stay the hell inside. Yeah. Keep and if people you have, away from each other, how do you right. stop the spread of a disease? Stop right. people from interacting. It, they were just being honest. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a good you metaphor to, you made. It was you a, have, it's a very apt right. metaphor. Right. And if you have to go outside, you got to have to wear a mask. Right. And. What that didn't take into account is all of the byproducts that would be caused, all of the negative stuff that would happen due to that policy. Because they're not they politicians. They're, they're not, not economists. Politicians. They're not right. – they don't have that information. They're doing one thing. They're, they're, they're doctors and, and health right. professionals, and that's what they were making their assessment on. They are looking at one metric, one vector, and it is the politicians, the elected officials' job to look at all of the data. So how this ties into DeSantis, and I think at the time we had talked about this, and we had talked about how – you know, maybe he just guessed right, and a lot of this was tied into politics, sure. right? A lot of it was like running in the other direction of what your political opponents are doing. But by right? the way, it's not to say that he didn't have his own advisors and didn't and not. didn't do what we accused Trump of not doing. Right. It's right. Possible. Exactly. Yeah, it's possible. Um, what DeSantis I think did was he looked at the data mm-hmm. within the first month and saw 
that this was a very, he never was a COVID denier. No, ever, no, ever, ever, ever. He saw that this was killing mostly people who were over sixty five, sick, had lots of now. Everyone, people who are listening will be like, well, I know a 35 healthy marathon runner who uh, died. We, yes. We all got that. That, Come that, on. that, that, that always got that happens, yeah. right? That happens with, with the flu every year. That happens with strep throat, yep. right? The bulk of the people who have died, if you, you could go to the CDC website and look at the statistics right now. If you were under the age of 65 and you were reasonably healthy and had less than four pre-existing conditions or comorbidities, as they call them, the chances of you dying of COVID were extremely slim. Mm-hmm. And he was looking at that data, knowing that he has the second oldest state in the country, and the first oldest is Maine, and Maine has like 13 people in it, so it doesn't <laughs> count. Um, Florida is essentially the oldest state in the country. They have the, 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 the largest elderly population. Right. What DeSantis did very smartly was say, let's put all of our COVID resources into protecting the elderly. Let's protect the nursing homes. Let's... And if you look at the statistics... Florida lost a lot less old people than New York did mm-hmm. or California per, per capita, yeah. right? Um, and he basically just said everyone else go about their business. They never had a mask mandate. They never shut down businesses. And if you look at the overall death counts, it doesn't look any different than yeah. any of the I other know, blue states. And that, that is the amazing thing, right? Now, it's very easy to sit here and Monday morning quarterback it and, and say, oh, well, that means that the Democrats are bad, no, we, right? Uh, because we, right. we didn't know anything. Everyone was just trying things out. And right. maybe he had more information or different information than some mm-hmm. other states. But, he, you know, he, he did what he felt was the best idea for his state the same thing was done for other people's and covid was such a mess and the information flow was horrible and a novel virus let's not forget that it was a novel virus and 1.5 million americans have died yeah that's right i mean dude when we started recording this it was like a couple hundred thousand oh i know i I, it happened very fast and because of that the the information flow was all over the place um and 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 so you know no one really had a grasp on what to do no no, of course not. And, you know, when people attack Newsom and stuff for his policy, you got to, first of all, you have to remember that Newsom was a, the original recall uh, rally for Newsom was that he opened the state too early. Yeah. His first, the first time they, they started talking about recalls was that he was defying federal guidelines by opening the state too early. Well, and, well, of course, it backfired. Angeles, so. You know, the, he also, yeah, right, exactly. He, he also had, all governors had to deal with the hospital setting yes. and the fact that is, there was only a certain amount yeah. of it's – it, it's a finite resource. If there was one of the biggest problems, if not the biggest problem during the pandemic, I think that, that you just hit the nail on the head with it. I mean that, that was the most troubling thing was the healthcare system during the pandemic and how taxed it was. Right. Now, but what Ron DeSantis did prove is that had this whole thing – been sort of tranched out in a in a more realistic manner like maybe we all locked down for a week or two yes and then it was like anyone who's in their 20s go back go to back. work yeah. and then a week later anyone who's in their 30s go back a week later anyone's in their 40s so every all those people are going to get it i mean have you had covid yet i, I think not, you're like the one i've not had yeah. covid well, yeah. I've had it twice, yeah. right? So, so, I mean, when we were recording this podcast, neither of us, I think, have had, had, had it, mm-hmm. right? So, so, you know, it was one of those things where, I, and you, frankly, you might have had it. I think like most of the population has at this point. Yeah. Maybe you just didn't know. A lot of people were asymptomatic sure. and you just would never know, mm-hmm. right? There was just no way that we were going to stop it. But, you know, I think going forward, if this happens again, it would be done in a much different 
way. But I don't bl- – you know, there's also the politics to think about it. Do you think that someone like Gavin Newsom with the constituency that he has, mm-hmm. that constituency was more uh, focused on – wanting him to do what the public health sector was saying full cloth right rather than do rather than someone like DeSantis who had a much more conservative state who who you know are more defiant people who are more defiant and and certainly more um uh, skeptical about the public health sector. I agree I I agree with you but I think that the problem really lies at the top like what we're saying I think had we had a strong leader who knew how to who knew how to check in with his advisors, not run his mouth off at a press conference, do things behind a closed door, get all the information and, and create a, a a situation and act, um, you know, to, to the best of his ability with the information that he had. Yeah. That would have trickled down through the politicians to the electorate. And you would have seen a more unified country, I think, in what we should have been doing. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And, and, you know, (laughs) And this is something that bothers me. I, I think about this all the time. Is that the right has memory hold the yeah. what 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 Trump was doing, which is he was he Trump put out Fauci, mm-hmm. Fauci, who is now among Republicans the most hated public official in, uh, in modern American history. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're talking about jail time still for him. Right? Really- he yeah he put Fauci out front. Yes. And let him take the lead on his own accord mm-hmm. while at the same time tweeting to liberate Michigan. That's that right. is the definition of talking out of both sides of your mouth. It's confusing. It, it allows the right now to say, oh, Trump to, – to act like Trump was some anti-lockdown hero when his own federal government was prescribing extremely draconian guidelines all the way down to all the states yeah. that no state, including Arizona, met yeah. – or including California, by the way mm-hmm. – met at all and – he was getting mad in the beginning at certain governors for opening too early, all while at the same time saying we have to get our country open again and acting as if he was uh, some kind of crusader against against that. Yeah, he you know? created confusion. He created misinformation, which then again, as I said, it, it, it all trickles down um, yeah. and, and it creates mass confusion because when people – you know, our, our reliance is on some governance during those yeah. periods of time. We need adults in the room. And yep. when the adults start acting uh, like children and we get information that is mixed or, we, or, or, you know, it's their job to disseminate the information and present it in a way that, that, sh- that shows some trust. When, the, right. when, our, when our trust is eroded in our government, pandemonium breaks out. And I think that's exactly, exactly what happened. Right, right. It, and, I, and this will tie into later when I talk about more of what, what I am so upset about with the GOP's behavior during the pandemic. A lot of it stems from, from the top, from leadership, and how I think they handled it and how I think they could have done differently. Yeah. Um, so – Lots to talk about with the COVID thing. Um, you know, it, the data is still coming in. You know, like, like we said, it's going to take years and years and years. My wife lost her business of 14 years yeah. to COVID, right? I will never forget that. And the, the idea that – and I'll never forgive, right? Because the idea that 
that might not have been necessary, that we yeah, didn't need to she close. owned a fitness studio, right? We didn't need to close. There's, that will always be the great unknown. Mm-hmm. But when you look at states like Florida yep. and the fact that they never did that. It's hard to argue. And you look at the economy and the fact that their economy stayed intact and you look at the death totals, it is hard to argue, mm-hmm. right? Now, a lot is a lot of that just a guessing game? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to be filing a lawsuit against Gavin Newsom anytime soon, right? Mm-hmm. But it it is i i think the, the you know, here's the other thing that covid did that i think is very underreported is that it took a completely apolitical segment of our population which is like people like my wife like and she's not one of these people that i'm going to talk about mm-hmm. here but people who are sort of like stay-at-home mom, or just moms, soccer moms, yeah. let's say, who were completely apolitical, who probably voted Democrat a lot because they were college-educated or because their family always voted yeah. Democrat. And it was just a tradition. But politics were, is not a part of their everyday life. Not, not involved in everyday yeah. life. It made a lot of these people into political activists yes, for the right. Yes, it's true. Right? It, because their kids were out of school for a year or more. Yeah. It happened in L.A. That's a big reason why Caruso almost won. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people who saw their kids have to do remote school were, you know, all of a sudden now looking at politics. So what happened as one of the other negative byproducts as a result of the heavy handed government approach to covid that a lot of the blue states took is that it made Republican political activists out of people who were completely apolitical. Mm -hmm. And that, just from a strategic political standpoint, was not a good good move. No, it's right? not a good move, yep. but it, it also causes further divide. It, it also a division. It does. It also, you know, it, it causes the sort of fiery rhetoric that we see being shouted yep. at from both sides. Um, right. it, it worsened it. You know, the pandemic yeah. played into that a great deal. It's crazy. It's crazy that we live through it, dude. I mean, I, know. I, I think about, like, the dust finally feels like it's settling, mm-hmm. although there's still outbreaks everywhere and we'll we'll get to how the democrats should be messaging about it but it's uh it's never going away but it does feel as though you get used to it you get used to the trauma of it and now it's just like eh, it's covid well whatever. the country relaxed right? i mean look what you know yeah. you can't say the same thing about china right no, they're still no, very no. much living yeah. in the middle of it mm-hmm. and so it has a lot to do with what you're talking about it has a lot to do with how the government re- yeah. gets data disseminates the data and then acts on the data and the fact that the data told them that uh hey we can let people go back to life and they listened was a very big deal because we we, like i said look at china we could still be locked down i mean you know it's just not the answer yeah yeah and you know we could talk about this all day it's just fascinating to me because now you see outbreaks and i'm not convinced that we're not going to see a crazy outbreak again where the hospitals get inundated in in a lot of major cities from covid i think throughout the next throughout the rest of our lives frankly well, you don't know it's how the not, virus the virus is going to react you don't know how right. that's going to shift here's the point i was going to make is that we will ne- i don't think the american people will ever go back to wearing masks and staying no, inside agree it, that's never going to happen we're 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 all like simultaneous liberals conservatives and everyone in between is we're all sort of simultaneously done and i think we have accepted the risk mm-hmm. that's the whole thing that that goes back to the analogy of the driving thing it is yeah. the same principle where we know covid could be dangerous right and we you know i've been traveling a ton you travel a ton for 
for your job. And every time you get on the plane or you're in the airport fraternizing with people, you could get COVID. But it's just something we live with now. We've gotten used to the idea that, yeah, it's there. I could get sick. I probably won't die from it, but I'm going to take as much precautions as I want. I, I, I went to LA last week and because both my kids have been sick and because flu is so crazy, I wore a mask on the plane. I was like literally the only one. Right. Because I just, you know, just, not for anyone else, for my own benefit. Sure. Right. Yeah. So moving on, we need to talk about Justin's current home state of Arizona. Oh, do we, though? Uh, yeah, we do. We do. And here's the thing. I'm just going to say uh, this should be the, this should be the uh, the title of this particular segment. Candidate quality matters. Yeah. Amen, <laughs> right? sir. Amen. Right. It matters a lot and especially matters when you're in a purple state mm -hmm. that is trending more and more blue every election cycle. Arizona Republicans, for some odd reason, have an unbelievable knack for picking the craziest, most off-putting, most bizarre candidates in the country. Uh, is it the heat? Jay? I mean, uh, it's pretty hot. <laughs> yeah, uh, the heat, does the heat do something to the why? It, it just seems. I was talking to, I was in LA, and I was talking to our, our mutual friend Clay, yeah. and I was like, "What is it about Arizona? Like, there's crazy Republicans in every state. Yeah. Like, there's crazy Republicans in Oklahoma, and yeah. Mississippi, and Louisiana. But there's something about Arizona where the Republicans just seem crazier than well, every he, other state. He, here's the thing, and I'm not sure everyone is aware of how the the, the political um the, the political uh, pipeline works, right? When mm -hmm. there are, are um, seats available or elections to run, it is yeah. the responsibility of the RNC and the DNC to organize a candidate, to yeah. organize the election, t the, the, the team that, uh, that surrounds the candidate, and get them elected. Now, if the yeah. RNC or the DNC is a mess, you're not going to have uh, a lot of attention going in the right direction. So yeah. my point to say that is that the RNC in Arizona is a hotter mess than the RNC nationally, um, yeah. which is really saying something. Uh, well, because the RNC in Arizona seems to be run by complete and total kooks. Yeah. Well, like, they, well, to your why? point, you're wondering why the candidates. I mean, look, you yeah. know, th this is who that they. These are the people they determine are fit to run. Um, right. And and part of this, and I, you know, how much I hate to continue to reach back. To Trump, but yeah. he made the unqualified candidate uh, just something that is not only should be uh, ran, uh, someone right. that should be ran, but someone that should be right. proud of. I mean, Carrie Lake is right. a perfect example. We saw her perfect. in debates yeah. where she was like, uh, uh, you know, um, my wife Tiffany, went, mm. she was very involved in the election uh, in, in yeah. Arizona, and she she wasn't for Carrie Lake. She was for. Uh, a great candidate named Karen Taylor, Karen Taylor Robson, Robson and, and, yeah. and, and they, they had debates and people were asking Carrie certain questions about governance. And right. she, not only did she say like, I don't know what you're talking about. She said it proudly. Right. And right. I, exactly. I mean, that is insane to me. It's, it, I mean, listen, we talked about this on the pod before. Sarah Palin invented it. Yes, it's the birth, that's right. It was that's the, right. It was Sarah the birth Palin of it. the idiotic, I know nothing, but I'm just culturally. I'm like you. That's where, that's where right. I have a problem with it. It just, right. it, it takes the, the electorate and it, and it just like brings them down to the lowest common denominator. Right. But the interesting thing is that Arizona was John McCain country for a mm -hmm. long, long time, right? And John McCain, you know, called himself the maverick because he was outside the box and he was a, 
thinker and he was a war hero. And, yeah. you know, it just seems like the state gets lower and lower and lower with the candidates that, that, that they provide. I just don't understand it. So let's talk about some of those candidates. So there's Carrie Lake, yep. who you just mentioned, who is the craziest of all of them. I mean, she is currently doing crazy things probably as we speak. Yeah. Uh, she just brought a lawsuit, I guess, against uh, Katie Hobbs. Um, which, who, which, which will do nothing. I mean, yeah, which know. will do nothing, right? They're doing the listen. Carrie Lake said from the beginning she was extraordinarily Trumpy that she would not accept the re- results. She was doing the exact thing that Trump was doing, which she was where she was denying. It is the Trump playbook, and yeah. and by the yeah. way, like the, from from the very beginning, you know this, and everyone who's listening knows this. You you have to hold fast to Donald Trump if you want his endorsement. Um, because if you need if you if you're going to maintain it you have to take his positions as they come up as new ones arise you have to st- like stay fast to 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 sort of trumpian politics because he'll yeah. leave you and and leave you out in the cold, cold if you don't and but and someone like Carrie Lake is it's all she had going for her she doesn't know how to run uh, 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 you know, a, a state. She's a TV she, anchor. She's a TV anchor. And by not, the way, not only that, she was a tourist because yes. not only was she a TV anchor, but she was an Obama acolyte. Correct. Which is, yeah. I was getting to that because if there are, there have been a number of pieces written about Carrie Lake, and when you hear about people that were friendly with her before uh, this turn towards politics, they all say she's like a different person now, like the like a like a switch was flipped or something. Right. You know, she was a very different, um, calmer, more sensible. Yeah more realistic person and now she's almost playing this character that has to fit in with the sort of like you know the trump characteristic there is a faction of her fan base of of uh, you know who wanted her to say certain things that are completely outlandish mm-hmm. and ridiculous and we could put mark fincham in that category as well he was running for secretary of state he lost as well he is sort of joining um uh carrie lake and trump in their fight in Arizona to bring election integrity back and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, blah. I mean, uh, the, yeah. the biggest problem with this is that they cannibalized the good candidates. I mean, yeah, right. the, Carrie Lake winning over Karen Taylor Robeson is, it was the, you know, my, the, the worst part of the election for me. It was just right, like, right. she was the right candidate. She would have been an amazing, amazing governor. And, and she probably would have won. Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. I do think yeah. she would have won. Because Katie Hobbs isn't particularly she's qualified either. She's nothing special. Either. She's, right, she, right, I, no, I think right. she's going to be horrible for the state. Right. You know? we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. Let's, yeah. not, let's not speculate yet. The other one, of course, is Blake Masters, who at least tried to scrub his website of all the Trumpy stuff well, once he won the primary. Not just his website. Right. I, I mean, look, I, say what you want to about Blake, and then I'll, let, let me go ahead and, okay. and, and okay. have my say. All right. Yeah, you know, and by the way, full disclosure, uh, Justin knows Blake, and I think he has a you know a somewhat personal relationship. Yeah, I was getting there. It's really it's it's. Yeah. I mean, I've I know him and I've met him multiple times. Right. Uh, we had a fundraiser for him at our house. Tiffany helped with the campaign and worked with the campaign, so she yeah, she has the relationship. That. But no, just the, part of the disclosure. I just want everyone to know before we start talking about okay. it. You know, I, I I have personal knowledge of 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 uh, spending time with him, and so that's where I'm going to draw right. from as well as the campaign. Right. And from an outsider, I've never met him. Right. So from an outsider's perspective, that's all I can, all I can tell you is what I saw and my perception. Which is most people's right. experience. So. Right. Exactly. So, so my perception of Blake Masters was that he was extraordinarily Trumpy. And like you just said in the beginning when he was running his primary, mm-hmm. like you just said, um, Trump cannibalizes the entire thing. So he had to be Trumpy in order to win that, that 
primary. Mm-hmm. He had to be an election denier. He had to be a, uh, you know, extreme on abortion and mm-hmm. all of these things, right? And the problem I have is that as soon as he won the primary, like literally the next day, oh, yeah. the website was scrubbed. Like, first of all, just from a political it's strategic the, it's standpoint. It's the kiss of death. Right. You can't, well, well, do, you can't do it. It is the kiss of death because, first of all, don't you know that there are Democratic operatives watching your every move? Well, right? not just Democratic and, operatives. I mean, just media, people. I mean, media, it's, anyone. You can't do yeah. it in an election cycle. It, it, it's, right. it's never going to work. It's never going to work, right? So he scrubbed – so for those people who don't aren't up on what happened, I mean Blake Masters was very, 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 very far right uh, at, when he was running in his primary. Uh, obviously, when he won the primary, he had to tack to the center, but he did it in a very overt sort mm-hmm. of weird way where he uh, scrubbed his website of, of all his election denialism, and he did it like the day after. Well, and, and, of course, started, and started – and his rhetoric changed as well. Yeah, his rhetoric changed. The, and again, this is not – I know you know him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is not a reflection on him as, as, as a person in real life. Yeah. But on TV, um, he just came off to me as just – as cold as Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. but even worse, <laughs> right? Because there was, there was ads he was – I mean, did you see that ad he did where he was shooting a gun for like 10 minutes? No, I didn't see that one. Uh, it, 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 you know, it was just – he looked like a serial killer. <laughs> like it, it just – it was like every possible way we could make this guy look like more bizarre. Yeah. And, and then he didn't have the – you know, when you, when you do the – like you just, were just insinuating, when you do the scrubbing your website trying to take back some of your crazier rhetoric, now not only do you appear to be a, a – uh, a faker. Well, it's it's a flip. Right I mean, now. we used to call that flip flopping. I mean, it, it, right. Mitt Romney was accused of it. I mean, certain politicians is it, it's it used to be sort of a gotcha thing when you saw a politician do this. It was like, oh, you're a flip flopper. We can't trust you because it's a very dangerous difference. way to do it. Of course, of course. And here, but here's the difference, dude. There has always in politics throughout history, throughout the history of American politics and Western politics, yeah. there has always been. A, a politician tacked to the center, well, whether they were on the win. when they're on the left on the right. Yeah. After they win the primary, they always yes. said the the difference now is because Trump is so extreme, yes. and you have to take all of his prescriptions in order to win the primary. Yeah. When you do that tack to the center, it, it looks seems horrible. So I agree. It looks it's because it's a larger, it's a much larger leap than before. Gap. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a bigger gap yeah. that you have to now travel back to get yeah. to the center. And also he did it in a very, like you said, overt way. And, and I really do. I mean, he, and this is, this is speaking to, to the, the RNC as well. He was yeah. a first time uh, candidate and not that that's bad. I think of the candidates that ran, he is one of the far more educated and 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 bright individuals. Um, yeah, but, but but you know that doesn't matter a lot of times. Of course, yeah. that's true. Yeah, but p- part of that is he's never done this before, and so he listened to a lot of the people around him that were brought to him by the RNC, and they gave him yeah. horrible advice. And so the the ad you're talking about, the way that he scrubbed his website and changed his rhetoric so drastically, so suddenly. I think all of these were tactics that were just like, uh, you know, um, advised to him and he took right. it because he just doesn't know how to do this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, there's a learning curve and maybe he'll be back. I also think, though, that Mark Kelly is exceptionally popular and he, and he is a uh, 
I think he is a moderate, a very moderate Democrat, and he has not been shy about attacking the Biden administration when he thinks it's politically expedient. Mm-hmm. And he's also got the Gabby Giffords thing. And, you know, I, I, listen, well, he, had a, Arizona, and he had a massive war chest. He had so much more money course. than Blake. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sorry, you know, money is important. Yeah, very important. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Very important. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, so, I, I, yeah. I, I will close by saying, like, at least in terms of what I want to say about Blake is like when yeah. I first um, when Tiffany came to me and said, like, hey, because Blake, actually, we know him through uh, through a family friend um okay they were they were they were friends back in college and so you know tiffany wanted to be active in politics in in arizona and so this was obviously a way to do it and so we actually went to lunch with blake and his closest campaign advisor and and an intern or something which is fun okay um and i basically asked blake straight up i'm like i know you need to do what you need to do in order to win this election i'm no dummy i know what you have to do to win a a, a republican primary in the state of arizona these days right full contact sport it really is and so i basically said to him like uh are you really gonna like are you really with the things you're gonna have to say and you know he didn't straight up say no but he smiled and nodded enough to know that like he he's got a brain in his head he knows that he's gonna have to do things and this is like any politician i say this all the time if if you are voting for someone to be president and he's gotten to the place where he's in a position to be president you aren't gonna want to vote for him to be like and you really knew He's not the right, you know, he, you're not going to want him to be a president. Everyone has to climb these ladders. Everyone has to do these, uh, yeah. these things to get to a position, right? And this I'm not, is why people hate politicians. Politics, 100% right. and, and politicians. And politicians yes. to, to begin with. 100%. Right? Yeah. But my yeah. point is that he knows better and knew that he needed to do this to win the, 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 the primary election. So yeah. just to color, you know, uh, and, you know, people have to understand listening, like, this is the world of politics. This is how it works. Right. Period. But yeah. now, but to segue off of that, we that's a perfect way to transition into a little bit more about Trump. Yeah, because we have to look at Trump's record yes. for the elect yeah, for this yeah, election because sure. it's very pretty. Good. It's, it's pretty f-ing abysmal. Yeah, I gotta say, it's horrible. I mean, every single incumbent Democrat senator won re-election. Yeah. Trump destroyed the candidates' chances in every single important swing state: Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania. I mean, Pennsylvania. I, I mean. Uh, Listen, I don't have anything against Fetterman, mm-hmm. but he was—he had just suffered a stroke. And I, I, I know maybe there's some of you who are listening who have like relatives who had strokes. I, I'm very sensitive towards stroke, stroke sure. victims. My grandmother—I just don't want them to be elected representatives. No, I, like, again, re- I, I mean, my my like I said, my grandmother had a stroke, and again, right. it's all different, and and you know, no two are alike. But right. you just don't know. You just right. you really don't know until things sort of play yeah. themselves out. And by the way, most recently, Trump's influence in Georgia, which is the second time yeah. he screwed this up. And we know now by looking at uh, Brian Kemp's w- victory mm-hmm. in Georgia that Trump's handpicked candidate did so poorly compared to the guy who actually won, who was not uh, was a Republican, but not a Trumpy Republican. Yeah. I mean, and that, that, that is a pretty big sign right there. Well, All, so, it, again, you talk about candidate quality. I mean, he just right. he just handpicked weird. He made yeah. really weird choices, horrible choices, because yes. he kind of think he must think that anyone can do this. That's what he must think, right? It's just like, I oh, guess well, so. I could, I could just step in here and be president. So, you know, Herschel Walker can can step in and yeah, win a Senate seat. Or Doctor Oz. So, yeah. Doctor, Do- I want to talk about Doctor Oz for a second. This is kind of funny. I, I think about this because Doctor Oz to me is indicative of the 
the new style of the the Republican path to success, mm-hmm. as I'll call it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. TM, trademark. <laughs> um, so Dr. Oz was once a very respected brain surgeon, right? He was on Oprah all the time. He had yeah. his own show. He was, he was like literally performed brain surgery, like in between like filming his show. And he was, yeah. you know, After very popular. <laughs> he had no political ideology that anyone spoke of. But from what I've read, he was, uh, you know, liberal as most, you know, highly educated people uh, on shows were <laughs> right yeah. right it, it, people in hollywood mm-hmm. are right it, that, that that wouldn't surprise me at all that yeah. he was a liberal um and then he was he was sort of caught with his pants down when he was caught sort of like hawking hawking supplements that were like filled with like coffee beans that he was grinding <laughs> and like selling them as like cancer cures or something so he was he was hauled up in front of congress right and uh you know pretty much convicted at least not not legally but in the public eye as being sort of a snake oil salesman he lost all his credibility his show this is this is years and years and years ago his show went down the drain um and he you know lost respect as a doctor i believe he did actually lose his medical license for being again a snake oil salesman who mm-hmm. was like trying to profit off these like stupid supplements that he was selling out of his basement yeah. you know yeah. with like they he was making with like bis biscuit or something but uh anyway um from there guess what's the next step he becomes a contributor on fox news right, right? Yep. that is sure. and this goes back that's to the something entry, we, uh, right? that's the that's the marijuana of uh, See, of uh, republican politics exactly so this goes back to something we talked about on the pod all the time the gina carano effect yeah the dissenting opinion thing that is that's what has happened to conservatism in the united states all that matters is that you have a dissenting. It doesn't matter that you actually hold a conservative thought in your brain. Yeah, well, it's, it's that nothing you to do are, with conservative you have a idealism. Dissenting, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You have a dissenting opinion, and Doctor Oz was invited to be a contributor on Fox News because he had been shunned by the mainstream, by the mainstream medical establishment, by the mainstream entertainment establishment because he was. You know, doing unethical things, and Fox News is like, "Hey, you're doing unethical things, and people think you're not legitimate anymore. Come <laughs> join Fox News, right? That's just the that is the new path. It it is not about being conservative. It's about having an opinion that differs from the mainstream. And then from there, he's a freaking candidate, senatorial candidate. Yeah, right. It's, it's... We we never heard one piece of conservative rhetoric from this guy's mouth. Right. That's he was just a TV personality who was disgraced at one point. It's and th- it's the it's the Trump problem. It's the now right. everyone thinks just because they have some semblance some semblance of popularity yeah. that they can now run for office. Right, like that they're right. qualified to run for office. It's it's yeah. unbelievable. It, it, it's it, you know, and I think it's so indicative of of where Republican politics has come because. I mean, all you have to look at is Pennsylvania to know there's yeah. a serious problem. When John Fetterman, a guy who could barely get a sentence out because he just suffered a stroke, God help him, yeah. won against a snake oil salesman guy who we didn't even know was conservative just because he was backed by Donald Trump. Yeah. Right? I mean, that, that's all you need to know. That's the whole picture right there. We don't even need to talk about Arizona. Pennsylvania is a pretty conservative state. Yeah. I mean, Philadelphia isn't, but... Pennsylvania is a big swing state, and there is just no reason John Fetterman should have won that. And and believe me, I wanted him to win because I thought at the end of the day, he was still better than Dr. Oz, right? But 
just such a flawed candidate. So candidate co- quality matters. Yeah, look, I, I agree. Yeah. And and what's super weird is that now the sort of the Republicans have the uh, the the injection of uh, yeah. you know call it celebrity, call it whatever. It used yeah. to be I, whatever happened to Senator Franken and uh, Jesse right. Jesse the Body Ventura. You know, <laughs> yeah, I exactly. mean, yeah. you know, it, it yeah, used to be the yeah. other way around. Well, uh, yeah, I think Republicans are have always been looking for their yeah. quote unquote yeah. celebrities, right? Sure. They 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 got like the country guys, you know, <laughs> the country music stars. But uh, yeah, it's safe to say you will you will never ever see Beyonce and Justin Timberlake at a uh, Republican RNC um, event, you know. Yeah, RNC event yeah. or like if a Republican – if Ron DeSantis becomes president in 2024, yeah. you will not see Beyonce at his inauguration. No, it's you actually – it's pretty right? – it's yeah. be, become pretty tough to find. It's all – like you said, it's all country music stars, and that's not even guaranteed anymore with country music going even more yeah. pop. So Going back to Arizona for a second, we have to talk about voting again oh, because yeah, Arizona, as predicted – uh, just as it was in 2020, has become the epicenter of right-wing conspiracy theory, stolen election nonsense. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is coming from Carrie Lake and Mark Fincham, of course, as we talked about. So first first off, I mean, Arizona's election was a disaster. Let's talk about that uh, yeah, for a second. Absolutely. It, it was played with procedural issues and technical issues, the whole nine. Yep. But the greater point that should be made is that that this is something that has been a thing in Arizona for like a hundred years. A very long time. And, and yes. And I think this is worthy of mention, Justin, because the right wing press relies on both the echo chamber of their audience mm-hmm. combined with a sort of Trump induced newfound interest in politics to make problems seem as though they're new when they aren't, right? I was just reading an article about how, like, literally 100 years ago, there was the same dispute in Arizona, sure. right? The, Arizona has had – has extremely draconian ways of uh, administering their election, the checking their ballots. They, I guess they have really ridiculous standards for signature verification. Everything takes time. But the point is this is nothing new, and the right is presenting it as something new, something out of the ordinary. I mean, what are your opinions on this? So I agree. They, they, they yep. bring up these problems as though they're new, and in, and in, in, in some cases, Republicans did cause them, uh, yeah. which they're acting— Some cases, a lot of cases. Lot, sure, I'm sure. going to get to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it doesn't make yeah. them less of a problem. Like, new or old, no, they're not. issues, um, and, and it, they need to be corrected. You know— yeah. Changing history is not a good, <laughs> you know, right, uh, trying right. to do that via the media is not a good. I mean, I have I have info here uh, that I, I have a couple of notes on that proves this out. Um, yeah. You know, 2012 ballots were rejected by the tens of thousands by the machines. Yeah. Uh, yeah. These were early voting and provisional ballots. I, yeah. and, and either voters weren't registered in time as 2012. They voted in the yeah. wrong precinct or didn't sign their ballot, which points to a voter information issue in 2008. Arizona had the high, the highest number of provisional ballots cast yep. and the highest rejection rate of those of ballots as compared to total ballots cast. In 2016, in Phoenix, officials cut the number of polling places by 70% to save money. And, and, and what officials were those parties? Uh, hundred, yeah, those are Republican officials. Absolutely. Right. But, guess, but here's my point. <laughs> guess what happened in 2016? Mm, the lines were long because they, mm. cut, <laughs> they cut the yep. polling places down to 60 from 200. So he, right. listen, hear me out here. Yeah. Because this has to do with the budgeting. It has yeah. to do with the lawmakers determining how much of a budget should go into setting up a voting operation. A red state or a state that believes in limited government only has a few very important things to take care of because it doesn't, it's not overtaxing. It doesn't have inflated budgets that they can do things with, right? They don't have money to create large-scale large government programs. 
But guess right. what? An election is one of those very few important things. Yeah. So I think it's having to do with it's mismanaging state money. It's, 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 it's a lot of things, but it's, it's a big yeah. problem. And it's been going on for a very long time. When you just said it's a lot of things, I agree with. I do not agree that this is just a budgeting thing. I think, and I'm going to go on. I, this is going to be my version of Riz's rant. Okay. Um, I I think it's a it, it, all of the Republican efforts to make voting harder over the last 150 years are designed to suppress vote, and I'm going to get into that in a second. But the 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 big claims being made by Republicans in Arizona right now is that the election was fraudulent because voters were disenfranchised due to exceptionally long lines, which I ha- I have to laugh so hard when I hear them say that because it's just so freaking ironic. I mean – there, there are lines in every. I vo- when I voted in the 2020 primary for Joe Biden, mm-hmm. I waited in line in West LA for four hours. Okay, so they certainly weren't trying to suppress my. They weren't trying to suppress my vote in California. Um, this is a problem in a ton of states. I have been the Democrats have been, uh, especially more of the vocal and stronger Democrats have been complaining about voting for years and years and years. This is probably the biggest issue for me of all issues, uh, policy related issues. I am a voting rights absolutist, and I will explain what that is in a minute. But it. Uh, <laughs> The fact that and, and again, you know how much I hate bringing race into into the equation, but the fact that white voters in a wealthy county in Arizona were disenfranchised by long lines mm-hmm. by their that were self inflicted by the way, not for just all the things you pointed out, but because the candidates were telling them to vote only on election yes, day hundred percent it's all self inflicted but the fact that it was it was disen- so called disenfranchising I say in air quotes white voters and we're ignoring the fact that this happens all the time Mm -hmm. in rural georgia in the south in atlanta in highly minor high uh, minority communities and we're not talking about that again i don't like to bring race into it but it's just to me this is so freaking funny yeah but here's the here's the bottom line like why are we giving oxygen to something that carrie lake it came out of carrie lake's mouth it's not just that, dude. It's it's not just Carrie Lake. I mean, there there are so many people who are who are calling attention, rightfully so, to the the inadequacies in our voting procedure. Sure, hundred percent. Right? And I'm all for that. But right. this is a farce. This is this is a this is a falsehood. Yeah, you know what I mean. This yeah, is a, yeah, of, of course. Yeah, of yeah course. there are long, but, Of course, but here's what lines. isn't. But but here's what isn't a falsehood. What isn't a falsehood is the fact that. Republicans have consistently, especially in the southern states, made voting harder, eliminated polling places for for reasons like use, uh, you know, under the guise of budgeting issues or under the guise of making vote, making it harder to cheat or blah, blah, blah. They have consistently done that. They have consistently turned down democratic efforts to make election day a federal holiday, which is a freaking disgrace. We're one of the only Western countries that doesn't make their election day a holiday. What, what is the reason Republicans haven't come around to that? All of a sudden now you're starting to say like, you're starting to see Republicans, especially more of the right wing ones, saying like we have to fix the way that like we've been barking up this tree for 50 years mm-hmm. right and and it, it just makes me so angry and it, like to give an example and I, I we've talked we had a whole show about voting sure. we talked about how how 
ridiculous voting fraud voter fraud is in america and how it, it's really hard to find um we talked about how massive numbers of illegal aliens are not voting that's that's a complete myth it's just never been proven mm-hmm. right um what we also talked about when, when i say so, so here's my opinion basically i am a voting rights absolute absolutist okay. the, the constitution provides that all citizens of the united states have the right to vote that includes lazy people mm-hmm. that includes stupid people that includes poor people that includes bad people politically uninterested people apathetic people absent-minded people and all of the rest right we happen to be an exceptionally politically unengaged country mm-hmm. compared to other western nations i think like the last election or the 2020 election was like the highest turnout ever and it's still only like 50 percent of the people that could vote and don't quote me on that but i think it's like a rat hovering around the 50 percent. that means like half of the eligible voters still don't vote right we are not a politically engaged country and that's fine we are a free country if you don't want to vote you don't have to i remember you saying that in our episode like yes Everyone should have the right to vote, but everyone should also have the right to not vote yeah, if they don't want sure, to. Ab- absolutely, right? But that right, right now, or let's say uh, two years from now when there's another election, mm-hmm. okay, there is a 350-pound uh, diabetic in inner-city Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And in Atlanta in November, it could still be 80 degrees, right? Yeah. And she's not involved in politics because she doesn't care, right? Yeah. And she gets up on election day and her neighbor, you know, runs into her in the hall and says, like, have you voted today? And she goes, oh, that's today? Because she's an idiot. She doesn't pay attention, right? And guess what? Idiots are allowed to vote, right? Sure. <laughs> There's nothing in the Constitution that says you have to be a certain level of, of intelligence. Right. Just an American citizen, right? So – she goes, oh, that's today. Well, what do I have to do? And he goes, oh, well, you know, first of all, you have to vote for Democrats, which, by the way, there is nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There is nothing wrong with influencing people. Fox News does it. The, 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 the Democrats or I'm sorry, the Republicans uh, have have made it a, a, a four letter word to uh, try for, for private companies or even citizens to try to influence people to vote for a certain way. When their own me- when media does that all the time, right? Fox News is a, yeah, uh, literally a accounts. Republican apparatus yeah, yeah, yeah. that is designed to get Republicans no, both elected. Accounts. Right? Media is right. now you know partitioned, right? So her neighbor says, you know, vote for Democrats, and here's what you have to do: you have to go to this polling location. Now there was a polling location right down the street from her, but that was taken away by the Republicans because they've removed polling locations for what reason they had never really been clear about, right? So now she doesn't have a car; she's 350 pounds and a diabetic. Um, and so she has to get there via public transportation, right? She gets there. There's a three-hour line. It's 80 degrees out. And Georgia has a law now that you can't even give water, water out online, right? There is no other reason Republicans do these things other than disenfranchising voters. They have been trying to do it for years. So she's going to look at that line and she's going to – And uh, some people might be saying, but why are they doing that? Because people in that situation, especially in the inner cities where they have less resources and less ability to get to the polls Mm -hmm. are less likely to vote for republicans just the way it is yeah it's stupid but it's just the way it is so she's gonna look at that line know she's a diabetic know she's overweight she didn't bring her water
daughter because again she's not the brightest right and so she's going to go home mm-hmm. right and and that's an example of something that happened it's voter suppression and it happens in this country all the time and the democrats have completely have, have i'm going to get to to why they have uh committed political malpractice Mm -hmm. by not making this a bigger issue. But we have known this for a really long time. And a lot of people might be saying, voter ID, voter ID. I know this is a very big Republican talking point. I have been very clear on this show and throughout, throughout, you know, since this show, that voter ID is another way of disenfranchising voters. I feel very strongly about that. I read an article recently in The Atlantic about uh, rural uh, counties in the in the deep south, in like the Mississippi Delta, where half the county doesn't have a, a, an ID. This is not something that's so uncommon. They're not like people like the people who are probably listening to this podcast that travel and do all the. There there are people who have lived in the same little community forever that have never had an ID, and Willie at the local liquor store knows who they are, so they don't need an ID. And a lot of and we also have an exceptionally high illiteracy rate in this country. If you're illiterate, you can't even fill out the application to get an ID. And guess what? Illiterate people get to vote too. I know that's upsetting for a lot of Republicans, but there's nothing in the Constitution that says you have to be able to read, Mm -hmm. right? You just have to be a citizen. So when when republicans talk about how voter id is so necessary and everything, it's it, it is another way of suppressing votes. We have to get to a system where voting is easy. It is it, it is seamless, right? And I'm going to talk about what they do in my current home state of Colorado, but Justin jump in if you need. So to. yeah, I, I was just going to yeah. say, look, I agree with you. The answer to these problems is making voting easy. But I mm-hmm. think the 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 my biggest issue with this conversation is that it is always focused on the Republicans, where the GOP is not the only party that makes it difficult to vote. Delaware is a very deeply blue state, but has some of the most limited voting options in the country. Yeah. Even Georgia, Zero with scripts. its new voting laws in place, gives voters more opportunity to vote before Election Day than Delaware, which, by the way, one in three residents is black or Latino. So it's not yeah. relegated to Delaware. Connecticut mm-hmm. has no early voting at all, which is insane. Yeah. New York yeah. has rules that force voters to change their registration months in advance if they want to participate in a primary. And in Rhode Island, voters require two witnesses to sign when casting an absentee ballot. Democrats there also enacted a strict voter ID law, speaking to your yeah. point, that when drafted by Republicans was caused racist, was called racist. The law mm-hmm. was adopted 10 years ago under a Democratic majority. So these three states rank in the bottom third of states in their access to early and mail-in balloting, which is the answer to fix the problems you're talking about. Of course. And, and you know, listen, early, early voting, I think— it has a limit because we ha- we do have to remember that surprises do come out like a month before the election. So we don't want it to, ha- to be early mo- voting six months yeah, before yeah. the election. But Republicans have consistently – and by the way, all the Democratic states you just mentioned that have those kind of draconian guidelines for voting, mm-hmm. I disagree with that as well. Yeah. And I think it's ridiculous. But my, prob- my problem is this, is the narrative – is it like it, it's yes, Democrats walk around saying they want everyone to have access to vote. What they really mean is just in the places where they're struggling to maintain power. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, but you know, again, in California, uh, up until the pandemic, it was not you, you weren't automatically registered, mm-hmm. you still had to jump through hoops. I again, I agree with you on this. Yeah. I maybe you're right, you know, that that. It's not just a Republican thing. It is it's we need problem. to figure out yeah, it's a problem. But 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 with that said, we know that Republicans know 
that the more people that vote, the less likely they're going to win. Well, I'm going to I'm going to get is. into this, uh, you know, uh, yeah. in a little bit because it is right. it is a problem for Republicans, and and that has to do with the, how our country is designed. Uh, and so we need to talk, you know, it's something to talk to, to get into of, of, yeah. of why we are not a, you know, a, 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 a straight democracy, not a, a populist democracy. Right, 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 right. Know? We're a republic, yeah. right. Constitutional republic. Right. But uh, before we get there, I, w- I do want to mention how it's done here in Colorado, because I've been very impressed mm-hmm. with with it. Um, and I think it's been I think my parents have lived here for 15 years. and It's always been like this. You never hear about right. it. Right. But. Every first of all, we talked about it. Didn't on, we Colorado we, is we, one of the 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 most. It's all mail. Yeah, right. All mail. Yeah. Right. All mail. It has been for many years. Mm-hmm. So don't buy into the Republican narrative that you hear on Fox that mail in is bad. There's plenty of states that have been. And by the way, Colorado was a red state just like five years ago, yeah. right? And it was mail in then. So it, it, the idea that mail in only uh, benefits Democrats yeah. is just so yeah. silly. Well, that, um, that rhetoric's but, going away. Right. Every single person. Uh, citizen of the state, first of all, when you get your driver's license, or even if you don't have a driver's license, uh, I think there's a way of proving your address where you live. If you live in the state, you get, automatically get a ballot in the mail. It is super easy. I remember in California, always like, getting to the polling location and getting in the booth and everything and like having to figure out, not just for candidates, but for initiatives. You have to like, you know... You're put on the spot. You have a line behind you. You're like, oh, do I like this one? I guess I like this one. I like the fact that my ballot came in the mail a month before the election. I had a chance to sit down and really research it. I had a chance to explain all this stuff to my wife who's not politically active and tell her what I think should have what she should vote for we all voted for the same thing we then you put it in your little envelope you you have choices you could if if it's a week before the election you can mail it in very easy mm-hmm. you put it in your freaking mailbox and the mail and the post office takes it. and by the way the the united states post office is remarkably accurate yeah. there's i mean how many times do they lose uh, your letter We've it's had extraordinarily this rare the, right, this is right. not a thing right it's not a thing um or Better yet, you can drop it off right. at one of the many dr- uh, drop centers. I saw centers, a lot of people boxes. doing this on election day. Yep. They're, they're all over the city, all over the state. Every county has them. They put plenty of them everywhere, so it makes it easy. It's seamless, right? And it just makes me wonder why anyone is going to stand in line for four hours to stand in a little booth. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, the truth of the matter is I agree with you um, wildly. widely. But I'm one of those weirdos that loves the process of voting because I think that's what makes our country so great. And so I love okay. marching down to the polling place and I love filling out my form. And- yeah, no, no, I understand the pomp and circumstance yeah. about it. Absolutely, right? Then there, it, it, It's like listening to a vinyl record rather than yes. pulling it that's up. That's a good on, metaphor. And, and, yeah. right, right, exactly. I, I totally understand with that. What, what I am saying is that from a logistical standpoint. Yeah, no, it doesn't count any – right. my vote do- doesn't count any different, of course. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right, right. Exactly. And Republicans have worked – very hard to their own detriment just from a i don't want republicans to win but from a political strategist opinion mm-hmm. here they have worked so hard to demean early voting to demean mail-in voting yeah. to say that your vote's gonna not gonna count unless you go in person and then when the entire county of maricopa county goes uh, you know they complain about the long five lines. five five polling places yeah. that are open because republicans made it that way and the lines are four hours long and then they want to know what's going on here <laughs> what do we do wrong no it's it, it's it's yeah. ridiculous of the ridiculousness of the highest order and and yeah. you you're 
starting to see, and we'll, we'll get into this, I'm sure, in a minute, you're starting to see the rhetoric um, of the, the fact that early voting is bad start to diminish in the ranks of the yeah. GOP. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, yes, that that is absolutely true. The rhetoric is starting to change, and, we're, and we will get into this in a minute, because this has to do with the Republican analysis for why they did so poorly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the analysis is falling on mechanics of voting. That's right. And uh, what they're saying is we need a better ground game like the Democrats, because the Democrats haven't been disparaging methods of voting that are completely legitimate. Yeah. This is on you guys. You guys up sorry to tell you (laughs) and by the way i want to talk about one other thing on this uh, in this regard is the idea of ballot harvesting now ballot harvesting sounds very sinister it's one of these like word it's one of it's 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 become a new poorly poorly named of course it's a a new republican you know buzzword you know they're participating in ballot harvesting now there are several states where ballot harvesting is allowed in california it's allowed i believe it's allowed in new york but all ballot harvesting basically means is that you're allowing somebody else to take your ballot to the polling location right um now that could be uh, could mean a whole wide range of things like for instance in nursing homes Mm -hmm. this has been a very big controversy where there's a lot of elderly or infirm people people who are sick who can't get to the polls what is the problem what is the big controversy with having, uh, you know, act or, or uh, um, not activists, but but representatives from each party mm-hmm. go and pick up ballots for these people and take them to the polling location? You know, the Republicans will come up with every single permutation, everything that possibly could go wrong. Well, what if the person picking them up changes all the votes? Like we cannot protect against every single possible instance of no, fraud. I, look, I agree. I completely agree with you. My problem. I love ballot harvesting. I think it's great. I, I it freaks me out, honestly. Like it, it just freaks me out. The idea of when we talk about voter fraud being low, I think it's low because no one person can inflict that amount of fraud. It's all one one to one voting. One yeah. person is voting early and sending their ballot. And one person is going to the polls and filling out a ballot. If you allow for for mass harvesting, one person can do a lot more damage in a Republican precinct. That person cannot bring. The, you know, like it, it, there's just the, the op, I agree with you. It's all yeah. worst case scenario. And we're all guessing because none of there's it's, be none a better, of it's happened, ve- but right. And there's gotta be a better way of vetting the person who's doing yes, it. May, then. Maybe there's some guide, some guide rails to put into place to make this a right. better process, but something, right. ha- it can't just be like Joe Schmo goes and picks up a bunch of ballots and you have to trust them to bring your ballot to the, to the, to I the ballot box. That freaks what, me out a little yeah. bit. I understand what you're saying, but again, as a voting rights absolutist, I I want the most amount of people voting, whether they're Republican or Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, I don't care what the hell they are. I I want the most amount of people voting possible. And I know, because I'm an adult, I know that there are a lot of people who have all sorts of conditions, people with memory issues, people who don't have the ability to do what you and I can do and don't have the ability to do the pomp and circumstance that you just talked about, about walking into <laughs> into a, sure. into a, no, a no, booth and, a... and actually filling it yeah, out, right? 100%. We, we, uh, so ballot harvesting to me seems like a pretty good remedy for that. Let's have people who go to nursing homes. Let's have people who go to hospitals. Let's have people that go to uh, – like I have no problem – with somebody going to a, a Democratic operative, going to an old age home and say, hey, I'm a Democratic operative. I've been vetted as a Democratic operative. I'm here to pick up your ballot because I know it's hard for you to do that. 
right? No problem with that. To me, that means more people vote. And the problem I have is that Republicans have a problem with that. Yeah, look, I think if there's tracking put in place and there are, you know, there are vetted um, messengers, then I think I have less of a problem with it. It freaks me out. Just the idea of like, you know, sort of the Wild West, people just going and collecting a bunch of ballots oh, yeah. and bringing them in freaks me out. I understand that. But, but, but I guess that's a good segue into the last question on this thing, which is what I want to know is what the Republican solutions are. And this is very much like the homeless problem we talked about, mm-hmm. what, three hours ago? Well. <laughs> because because <laughs> seemingly they, uh, Republicans, they don't like machines because machines can be rigged. We've heard, we've heard a lot of the, you know, machines can be rigged apparently, right? But they also don't like hand counts because – the people doing the counting could be Democrats, so they don't like you know mm-hmm. you know if if, if somebody yeah one for me one for them one for me right, one for them. exactly they don't like long lines as we just talked about but they also don't like early voting yeah. right they don't want anyone to vote early but they don't want anyone to have to wait in line either so I mean if you were going to hand count 150 million ballots across the United States presumably you would need tens of thousands of completely nonpartisan volunteers. Who have no political opinion whatsoever. Yeah, which costs so a lot of money, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Good luck with that. Good luck finding hundreds of thousands of people or tens of thousands of people who don't no, believe yeah, in any yeah, policy. These days, yeah, right. yeah. yeah, exactly. You know that if we find out yeah. that any of any person who had anything to do with the voting apparatus at one time said something said something endearing about bernie sanders yeah, for instance over. yeah you know there's there's going to be a higher chance that they could alter your ballot and turn your trump vote into a biden vote so justin how does the republican party overcome the fact that the cold hard truth is that when voting is easier and more people vote they tend to lose all right I, I, what are they going to do i'm, I'm going to get to this in a second okay. i do want to chime into the the voter conversation because you did ask about republican solutions and i think the only solution uh is that's clear to to a lot of people to a lot of republicans that they need to get on board with mail-in voting like ronna mcdaniel if she starts talking about the fact that mail-in voting needs to be a thing uh, for the gop then it needs to be a thing uh uncle carl rove has been out there talking about the issue that 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 the anti-mail-in ballot and early voting is a big problem and a sad commentary as he called it so that is the solution the Mm -hmm. bigger problem that you spoke to is that when lots of people vote republicans lose so let's back up let's take a take a take a zoomed out view here uh according to a world population review report as of 2022 there are over 210 million registered voters in the united states across multiple parties right yeah. There, let's say there are approximately 38.8 million registered Republican voters. The Democrats have a solid edge over Republican voters with the report currently around 49 million re- yeah. registered Democratic voters. Here's the surprising or maybe not so surprising bit. The number of people registered as independent outnumber the number of Republican registered voters. Interesting. In 2019, okay. 31% of voters identified as Democrats. 26% identified as Republicans, and 38% identified as independents. I identify as an Correct. independent, so I'm one well, of them. Well, I think yeah. we'll use that to, to sort of yeah. drive my point home. It's mm-hmm. pretty easy to theorize that these independent voters who sit in the middle, love it when the power yeah. sits in the middle, big ups to yeah. Kristen Cinema yeah. and Joe Manchin, it's easy to <laughs> theorize that this independent voter block holds sway, right? Yeah. yeah. In the same Pew Research study I mentioned, 17% of independents lean Democrat, only 13% lean Republican. So you're beginning to see this picture emerge. There are more yeah. Democratic voters than Republican voters. Yeah. Now, this could be very bad for our country if things 
sway a certain way and and the, the needle pins um it's right. part it's partly why we have the electoral college in place one party should not hold sway over our country forever so let me any do you have any anything to say there because i want to get into some historical context i think it's important around this conversation i mean no no i'm just listening at this point okay. yeah I, I i track with everything you're saying cool. yes yes so the framers of our constitution did not design us to be a direct democracy they placed clear limits on what government can do, regardless of what the majority of the country wants. So we have the Electoral College, we have the Senate, we have the design of the Senate, we have the filibuster, we have gerrymandering, which has been around since the colonies, by the way. Well, as, and by the way, as evidenced by the fact that, re, that the Democrats have, for the last few elections, yes. won the popular vote. Yep. Yeah, exactly yep. right, 100%. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we have, we, gerrymandering, like I said, has never, actually has never been more fairly laid out than in present day due to computer software that carves out districts on a block-by-block level. We have redistricting. We have all of these practices. My point is, is some people may look at the practices of gerrymandering or the practices of redistricting, and they may call it foul. But I disagree completely. I think these practices are put in place by our founders to create a balanced system. Because on a pound-for-pound level, if we didn't, conservatives would simply not hold office ever again. And despite what many uneducated people might say here, this would historically and theoretically devastate our country. We are a constitutional republic where power is not found in majorities. It's found in balanced power. It's a key design of our country. And to unravel it is to unravel the country itself. And I think it would throw us into chaos. I agree with you, just not with today's Republican Party. (laughs) I still think the country would be better without the Republican Party completely because of what has happened. But that goes back to what we talked about at the very, very top of this podcast, right? Um, But, but, you know, I think it's it's a very – it's a complicated issue. Listen, both parties uh, benefit from gerrymandering, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And I agree with you that a constitutional republic is the design of the founding. And it is a better system than a straight democracy. A straight democracy would throw us in the chaos. So I absolutely agree with that. I I agree with most of what you're saying. It's just at odds with how I feel about the Republican Party because I believe the Republican Party has been – has become so toxified um, that it it is no longer of use in the democratic system to me, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, That's just my opinion, Mm -hmm. right? But with – on the flip side of that, the other thing is that, as I've said now four times, being a voting rights absolutist who thinks that voting should be as easy as humanly possible, this is another thing that I'm perpetually disappointed about with the Democrats. Mm-hmm. The Democrats, to me, should be militantly pushing for easy registration, easy voting, and absolutely no roadblock in any state. They have to be working in every single state because like you said, there are a lot of states where things just don't make sense and every state has its own laws. And I know that the constitution prescribes that the states make their own voting laws, Mm -hmm. but I think we – there needs to be something that's reined in here, right? right? Because because the Democrats, to me, should be pushing for policy that at least normalizes everything across all 50 states. Because otherwise, you have more of that Wild West mentality, like you were talking mm-hmm. about, right? They need to be spending more time informing the American public about the efforts on the part of the Republicans to make voting arduous. Because this will inspire people to vote more. Mm-hmm. This is what's happening in Georgia. Nobody likes feeling like they're taking advantage sure. of right and stacy abrams who is a two-time loser now and you know you could definitely 
holds her accountable for that. She has been extremely influential in the state no, of Georgia. She's a great message. Getting she's a great people out. Yeah. Right. Right. For for convincing people that they have she's, to vote. She's a far better political operative than she is a candidate. Right. And you know what? That's a form of ballot harvesting. She ballot harvests. She goes door to door sure. herself and gets people to vote Democrat. There is nothing wrong with mm-hmm. that. There's nothing unconstitutional. No, about I agree that. with that. People right. have door knockers for, for all parties. Right, right. Um, and, and like most things, the Democrats absolutely suck at the messaging part for, for the most part, yeah, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's how I feel about it. The Democrats aren't doing a good enough job to uh, alert the electorate to just how dire of a situation this is. Again, th- and maybe I'm extreme on this, but this is sort of my pet project in politics right. is, is I've been talking about this for a long time. Sure. That And when I see how easy it can be done in a state like the state I currently live in, Colorado, I realize, like, there is just no reason for all the problems we have, right? And the disenfranchisement we mm-hmm. have, which we know is happening, absolutely. And I thought, by the way, as a side, um, Raphael Warnock, who won the Georgia runoff, yeah. he did say a very good thing, which is that just because we won – don't let the Republicans tell you that voter suppression isn't happening. Yes, they had the highest turnout, I think, in history for a midterm election in Georgia. That doesn't mean that the effort to suppress the vote isn't happening. It just means that the operatives on the ground, the Stacey Abrams and the the people like that, are essentially outsmarting the efforts to stop people from voting. And that that is a great thing. We need more of that. That's my opinion. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So let's move on and talk about why Republicans did so poorly in this midterm election. But before we do that, we do need to have a nod here yeah. to a, a little nod to Nate Silver. Sure. And and, and a bunch of the other uh, prediction apparatus, yeah. if you will, out there to inform everyone that no – the polls did not get it wrong. You just don't understand percentages. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just like in 2020, a lot of people are like, the polls are useless. Yeah. right? Because going into election night uh, for this midterm, I think 538, which takes an aggregate of all the polls, yeah. was, was giving the Democrats like a 35% chance. I mean, of, of, every of, poll of had, them, had them down. Right, right, of course. And, of course, when the Democrats won – it was like, oh, yeah, the polls are useless. Yeah. But it, 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 that's not how – what that means is that if the election was run 100 times, 35 out of those 100 times, the Democrats would win. Uh-huh. That's not like like crazy, right? Just to give a, like a little analogy, the average Major League Baseball player has a batting average somewhere around 250 or 25%, yeah. right? Which means that a professional ball player only hits <laughs> a quarter of the time, right? But would you act like completely shocked – if one like when one gets a hit, like of course not, yeah. right? Because you understand how percentage there is a work. percent so, chance that it could happen. It's right, not right. So yeah. the polls actually got it, especially right this time. They were the polls were pretty accurate. Well, th- there's there's yeah. another piece of this that is new, um, which is that you know Gen Z is voting now. They're voting in, in droves, um, and, and they are hip to the way yeah. pollsters get their data. And they are playing yep. that game. So they're not participating. They're not answering. They got the robocalls turned off on their phone. They're not. Maybe. They're, yeah. they're, I mean, this is a fact. Like they, they upset a lot of the polls because they weren't counted. And they came out in droves because of the abortion issue. So Gen Z. Maybe, Gen yeah, Z we're going to talk about that yeah, too. For sure. But they upset yeah. a lot of the polling data because they weren't counted. You know, 
I am the most politically engaged person I've ever met. Yeah. I've met myself, yes. <laughs> um, many many times, in fact. I have never gotten a call from a pollster, ever. That's interesting. Right? Yeah. So who the hell are they calling? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, but, but, we got to sign you up. Do, it, it could be because you're a registered independent, by the way. Maybe. I, I don't know. But even when I was a registered Democrat, I never remember getting a call, yeah. ever. Um, and you know, like you said, we're hip to the fact that it's a robocall, so we just turn up. Maybe I have gotten calls. I just don't pick up. Yeah. I don't pick up half the time when my own parents call. Right. So, <laughs> so <laughs> um, you know, it, it's uh, – it's an interesting thing, but the, the 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 bottom line here is that the polls actually were pretty accurate on this. And uh, leave Nate Silver alone, for goodness' yeah, sake. Please. I mean, he's just a guy trying to do his job, yeah. right? He's trying this to guy. help us. He's only trying <laughs> to guy, help us. I mean, talk about thankless job. We were talking about doctors and how and how they have a thankless job, yeah. right? For the most part. There's no one who has a more thankless job than Nate Silver. I mean, he it's gets true. blamed either way. No matter what happens, people hate him for just analyzing polls. Even trying, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So here are the four narratives coming out of Republican land for, for why they did so poorly. So narrative number one is that it's all Trump's fault. Now, I uh, certainly I know I know my buddy Justin here will agree that that is it's very much the case. So elaborate a little on why you think that might be the case. Well, uh, it you know, Trump injected himself into these campaigns. He handpicked yeah. candidates. Um, he worked to some degree with the RNC and in, in yep. getting them through the primary, he stumped for them. Um, and, and more, even more so as the general, uh, came about and, and much like we saw, and I think I mentioned this earlier, much like we saw in the last election, people came out in droves to vote against Donald Trump. And so what he yep. put himself in front of these candidates and they took to his, to, to the, all the rhetoric that we're used to hearing that sounded like it did way back when. Yeah. People came out to vote against Donald Trump. They, they, they may right. not even known the candidate's name, but they came out to vote against him. And I think that played a massive role in, in what happened. It's certainly a big thing. I mean, Ben Shapiro, who, you know, I listen to a lot. I know you do, too. Yep. Um, I, he's been saying, you know, why is nobody talking about the fact that Trump raised like millions and millions of dollars and gave none of it to these yeah, candidates? Sure. Yeah. Right. It, I, I mean, it, it seems pretty selfish. Um, his opinion and the opinion of some of the more, you know, smarter commentary on the right is that Trump had a devastating effect yeah. on, on the election. We could see that we've already talked about mm -hmm. it. Um, but that's not the funniest Thing. The funniest thing to me is that narrative number two coming out of Republican land is that it's Mitch McConnell's fault. Right. Now, I, 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 I take so much pleasure in this because, as you know, from we, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time. There's very few people that I dislike more in politics than Mitch McConnell. He is a cynical political actor. But the bottom line is that there – I don't think there's a person in the Republican – in the history of the Republican Party that has done more to prevent a complete takeover of liberal ideology and progressive policy yeah. than Mitch McConnell. Yeah. I mean he has stood as a bulwark against all the progressive stuff sure. for years and years and years. And the fact that he is now getting attacked because he's at odds – with Donald Trump and he, I mean, the, they're the hard line, him the hardliners I know are attacking right. him. It's incredibly ironic. It, 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 it's ironic and it's so delicious for 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 a liberal, right? Because we've always hated Mitch McConnell and the fact that he's getting his own medicine. You know, 
it all goes back to he should have never supported Trump from the beginning. Yes. He should have gone with his instincts. Yep. He should have pushed for impeachment. We talked. I listened to our episode where we talked about how uh, he was. You know, he's known as one of the greatest whips of all time. Mm -hmm. He could have whipped up support for impeachment totally. if he wanted to. Yeah. Uh, he didn't. He made he made that choice, and now he's lying in it. Yeah. Right. No. Hundred percent. Um, yeah, and, and you know he's essentially considered a Democrat at this point yeah. to the hardline but, Republicans. But the, the idea that he had, on, to be quite honest, any significant impact on this election is silly. Yeah, right. Yeah, no. I mean, they've been saying that he could have allocated his money differently, but he only had so much to work with, yeah. right? Yeah. And it, it, I mean, listen, the Democratic uh, – the big D Democratic apparatus just raises more money than the Republicans do. Yeah. That's just well, reality. They also right? have it together. I mean, uh, Act yeah. Blue is one of the, in my opinion, one of the uh, most impressive pieces of um, Democrat fundraising mechanic that I've seen <clears throat> in quite some yeah. time. It's an amazing machine that they built, and Republicans did not, you know, Donald Trump tried to counter, but it didn't really work. It's interesting, and, and we'll get to this later. The, the I keep saying that, but uh, the Democratic machines that operate behind the scenes mm -hmm. are impressive it's the democratic politicians well, that won't stop stepping on their own toes and, and are screwing up their chances yeah. for further victory totally but you want yeah. to talk about fundraising act blue collects money into one very large pot and doles it out to many you know candidates don't go hungry you know it's it's, well, it's they have the the republican version of Act yeah, Blue but that, is it, but, win red but that's a donald yeah. trump created thing that only yeah. really stumps for donald trump Right. So right. it's not it's yeah. not apples to apples. Yeah. So okay, the third narrative for why Republicans did so poorly is is as we've been talking about now for a while, the voting mechanics yeah. idea. And we, we, we don't really need to go into this. It's basically the idea that the the Democrats have got they they have not demonized any form of voting. Yeah. Right? They have whatever way you want to vote, yeah, go for vote it. that way. Yeah. Right? And the Republicans have. And it is a self-inflicted wound. They have continued to do this at the behest of Donald Trump. It's another – we could put this back in category one. Yes, that's it, right. It, it, it is a Donald Trump-created paranoia about certain things – certain ways of voting and, in fact, up to and including the idea of just staying home completely because mm -hmm. it's going to be fraudulent anyway. Yeah, I mean right? that's, that's, that's what killed Georgia. That's what killed yeah. Georgia the first time around, right? He told yeah, people not and, to and, vote. I mean what's yeah. the easiest way to lose an election? Tell your mm -hmm. electorate not to vote. Exactly. It's going to be rigged, so don't vote. I mean, it's about as stupid as you could get in politics. But yes, Republicans are uh, – I think Democrats have to be a little bit more concerned because Republicans are coming around yes. to the fact that their ground game has to change yep. and their rhetoric around voting has to change. So, And if that happens, it will be harder for Democrats to win. But I totally concede to the fact that Democrats are better at – getting people to vote by the various means that are available. Yep. And that's great. Yep. Yeah. The fourth narrative is that it's a Republican messaging problem. Now, I, th this is a funny one for me because, you know, we, we hear a lot of Republicans saying, well, you know, we just don't message enough. And while it's true that you don't necessarily hear Republicans going into the weeds uh, in terms of policy prescriptions and stuff, yeah. as we've talked about, like, what are your policy prescriptions for homelessness? What are your policy prescriptions for this and that, right? We, what I can say as an observer, observer of media and an observer of how both parties operate and someone who listens to both right and left and everything in between, far right, mm -hmm. far left, is that the Republican messaging apparatus is leaps and bounds above, beyond 
the oh, Democratic sorry. one. Yeah. I'm sorry. They, they, I know that will upset certain people who have been told otherwise by Fox News. But they, the, the way that Republicans in lockstep come up with a narrative and push it out with their various means of, of communication is – unbelievably impressive just from a marketing yeah, standpoint no, no matter how right. ridiculous the claim it yeah, is no matter how is, ridiculous the claim it's out exactly. there it's out there almost immediately you know you know the morning after or the afternoon of an event mm-hmm. what the republicans think on an issue you can see it coming oh this is what the narrative is going to be it, it's very uh, obvious i have i have said this for years i was just talking to our buddy clay in uh, in california about this it it is almost as if the second something happens, whether it's Joe Biden doing some mm-hmm. weird spectacle of a, a press conference where he looks like a, a mini version of Hitler who you know doesn't have a good vocabulary, yeah. or whether it's uh, you know this uh, this new Twitter mm-hmm. allegation that we'll talk about later, yeah. it's like it is almost as if there is a central service that sends out a fax. <laughs> To every single Republican apparatus in the world. And it just goes – everyone is in lock. There is nothing like that on the Democratic side. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. We talk about the so-called mainstream media, but it is not the same. There's no – you know what? Maybe it's like there's like no proactivity to it on the Democratic side. Like Republicans get out in front of something. You know almost immediately, oh, this is what it's going to be. Because you start to hear it, and then it gets louder and louder, and then you're like, "Oh, this is the narrative." The Democrats yeah. really don't really do anything like that. They, they don't get they don't get out of ahead of something, you know. I will also yes, that is definitely true. I will also say that there is the mainstream media. Yes, I will concede that there are members of the mainstream press, from Savannah Guthrie to Don Lemon to Anderson Cooper, who are clearly liberals, right? And no yeah, one's gonna, on. no one's going to argue no. with that, right? But the mainstream press does not exist to get Democrats elected. They might chill for Democrats sometimes. They might sub- openly support Democrats, yeah. but that is not their mission. Where uh, their mission is to make money, mm-hmm. right? Whereas, and, and that's why they love Donald Trump. By the way, they want Donald. Trump. They're begging Donald Trump to run because it is a cash cow, right? Whereas the Republican or the right wing media infrastructure is literally it is in existence to to elect Republican politicians. The 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 anchors on Fox News overtly stump for Republicans, right? And what they have done, and and this is such a brilliant thing that Republicans do, they are so good at it, is they have convinced the entire electorate that because they are underdogs, even though they aren't, they deserve their own outlet that just spews republican propaganda all day it's you know it's something that they deserve and everyone just accepts it right well i think it's less than i mean i think you know you start to have to invoke the the culture war conversation and and that you know cnn while they might not be stumping for candidates specifically they are discussing the the uh, viewpoint of the left, right? They're not taking the perspective of someone on the right, and maybe that's just because there aren't any right commentators that they have mm. on as anchors. They, 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 not as main anchors. They yeah. have their like I, Republican. Yeah, white I don't mean spokespeople. I yeah. mean like yeah. commentators. Right, right. And and, yeah. and so with that lacking, right? There's no perspective 
from the right. And so they needed to start. It's, it's what we talked about the culture war. You need Republican sneakers because, you know, the, 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 the Democrats have taken over this sneaker company with its wokeism and whatnot. So that's what yeah. I, I think there's also that to take into consideration. Of course. But again, I think I they think go about it. So- they go about it differently. But I think their reason and purpose, the, what they think their reason and purpose for being into existence is as much to combat the culture war as it is to stump for candidates. I don't think they, they think they're, be, they're, they're sitting there going like, we exist to get people elected. I think that's part of what they do. But I also think they think they're there to combat the culture war because they don't want the, the, the left perspective being the only thing out there. And they want a home for people who have that same right-wing perspective to be able to sit. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I understand what you're saying. I will also say, though, that so much of the success of right-wing media and the right-wing sort of ecosystem is based on the narrative, and this is the very foundation of it, that they are the underdogs. They are the victim. It's victimhood mentality. Mm -hmm. That is what you have to start out with on the right in order to then say, because we are the victims of mainstream press, because we are the victims of media, because we are the victims of Hollywood, because we are the victims of every cultural thing out there, we deserve to have our own network. And then what ends up happening is that that own network comprises a larger percentage of the population than any of the individual so-called mainstream networks, right? Yeah. But they will still even more people watch Fox News than any we've talked about this on the pod than any other media, right? But they will still present themselves as the underdog when they're not. It's the same thing with the social media thing. The the top clicks every single week on Facebook, on Twitter are Dan Bongino and Ben Shapiro. Yet from the right, all you hear about is how they have been victimized because that is how the system works. They 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 don't have a leg to stand on if they can't convince their base that the reason you're watching Fox News is because all of those other places have left you behind. Yeah, look, I right? I, yeah. I agree. I think that that's yeah. I think that that's going away to some degree in that these places are now becoming establishment vehicles and they just exist and people people just live there. You know, it's, yeah. it's, 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 yeah. it's moving away from it. It's like, this is now like daily wire is now there. It's, it's not yeah. going anywhere. And this is no. where conservatives live period. Of course. Yeah. 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 L- listen, I have no problem with conservative. I, I guess I think conservatives have a problem with the fact that CNN or MSNBC will project themselves as a sort of objective news network. Yeah, that is, I, but, and I agree with that by the way. Right. Not. Right. But 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 they're more objective than Newsmax is. Sure. Yes, <laughs> right. of course. I will concede right. that 100%. Right. And 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 that has been that's evidenced by the fact that they have attacked Biden over and over and mm-hmm. over again. I've seen I've heard uh Anderson Cooper do that. There's no there is no equivalent on the right. Yeah, they, you will never hear Laura Ingram attacking the whoever the Republican golden person of the day is. Just doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, think, I think there's some room yeah. for nuance there, but I, I, I hear yeah. what you're saying, yeah. Okay, so moving on. Here's, here's what I think, getting back to what we were talking about. Here's what I think the reason is yeah. that Republicans did the so risen. My, The risen, yes, exactly. This, this is my ultimate risening, if you will, <laughs> from all of the, the information that we just talked about. The Republican message the, the the message that that is coming out of the Republican face hole, if mm-hmm. you will, isn't all that popular. 
combined with poor candidate quality, combined with fealty to a man who more and more of the country want to go away. So it's basically a combination of a lot of things, right? The Republicans have a message that just from a popular standpoint just isn't that popular, Mm -hmm. right? They combine that with the fact that they choose terrible candidates who don't even present the message in a compelling way. And then they combine that with this weird sort of demeanor they have to have with Donald Trump who the country is slowly but surely starting to get tired of. When you combine all of those things, it's a recipe for disaster. Do you have anything else to add? Nothing to add. I think this boils down to Donald Trump, the the complicity of the RNC, um, and I think something that we didn't talk about that I know we're going to talk about later is that uh, sometimes if a big issue bubbles up before an election, it can drive the election results. I think we saw that with abortion. Yes, and we are, yes, like you said, we are going to, Talk about that later. I don't know if that was as big an issue as Republicans, some Republicans are saying it was, but we will get to that. All right, listeners, we're going to take an intermission right there. This conversation goes on for quite a while. So what we've done to spare you a six-hour episode is split things up into two parts. And we even have a part three culture corner planned for you as well. I hope you've enjoyed part one. Keep an eye out for part two, and we'll see you there. Stay moderate, America. This has been another episode of Down the Middle, the biggest moderate political podcast in the nation. Go to downthemiddlepod.com to find out more info and contact us. Follow us on social media at Down the Middle Podcast on Instagram, at Down the Middle PC on Twitter, and at Down the Middle Pod on Facebook. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Five stars, people. Five stars. Until next time, stay moderate, America.